This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your coach, your guide on the side, top of the morning. It's Thursday. Is it Thursday? It is. <laughs> We're almost there. We're almost to Friday. Then Saturday. This month is for, full of milestones for me. Why? Just or, or mile markers, I guess. Yeah, you just little, say, just little. Just like okay, I need to get to this point, and then the month's better. Uh, if you can, get, if you can just get to this day. And then each week is like, I need to get to this point, get yeah. past this meeting, get past this obligation. I'm fine. Yeah, that's how my whole year is. I don't do that any other time of the year except December. Well, it's because you're excited for Christmas. It's not really excited for Christmas. It's excited to get past all of the stuff leading up to Christmas. Christmas is great. You're just trying to get through the pain. Well, it's not really pain. It's just things I don't normally do. Hmm. Things that I would, yeah. I don't, like shopping. The shopping, the... Bread making. All that stuff, yeah. Sweets. It's great, but... You know what is the craziest thing? We can't get our elf to answer calls. Elf on the shelf. We, he, Such a manipulative thing to do to your kids. What do you mean? It just is. Well, what do you mean to do to your kids? Well, when you put that little elf out... Who puts the elf out? Whoever does. No, the elf... It's manipulation. It's really... Oh, my yeah. heavens. The elf has agency. And I can't find – we've called the ELF hotline. We've called 1-800-ELFS-R-US. How old is your youngest kid? Ten. Right. At what point do you move beyond this type of stuff? As soon as we get the ELF to answer. <laughs> Have you tried to contact the ELF union? No. Are they unionized? Yeah. Local 548. Uh, they might be on strike. Can you imagine the, the, the union boss of ELFS? That is a tough, that is one tough elf. It's named Louie. Louie! <laughs> yeah, so we can't get our, he's not answering. And my, my kids are mad because they actually put a note out. Hey, elf, what's your deal? I'm mad. I mean, what do you do? It's just the kids are suffering. Without the elf. Yeah. On the shelf. Yeah. Like that reminds Maybe that's where he is. Is he on the shelf? I think we. You just left him up there. We don't touch the elf. If you touch the elf, then you have the curse. Right. The curse of no elf the next day. The curse of the elf. So what happens when the elf goes away? Well, I don't know. He's gone away, and we just okay. try to call. But uh, but he's not coming back. But my kids are they're devastated. I said it's probably because you guys have done something wrong. Isn't that how it works? So last night we spent the whole night trying to figure out what they need to do better. Mm. Did you come up with a, a, a list? Yeah. But, Did you check it twice? Oh, no. <laughs> but who knows? I mean, it's hard. I wonder if, you know, maybe he's gone for good. Well, maybe. wouldn't he be busy? I don't know. There's the whole getting Christmas out process. Well, I know. but This is crunch time this for is the This is part North of the Bowl. job for the elf, and it just it just frustrates me. It's so hard to find good help. Mm. You know what I mean? In the elf world. Um, uh, did you hear the whole Antonin Scalia thing? 
I read some of it. I read some reports saying that people took it out of context. That yeah. uh, that then he because I, I have something to the fact that black or, or black students in colleges, yeah, when they go to difficult colleges, they're not as successful because. They're just not there intellectually. Yeah. They need to go to a, a lesser college or, so they can do something. Fa- like some, I guess some colleges are faster tracked. There and, you go. So they need to go to a slower tracked college. He goes, when you see the top <laughs> researchers that are African American, right. they go to less prestigious colleges, and there's a reason for that. Yeah. At least that, that's how it was presented in the article I read. That's it's exactly. And, and anyway, and it's it's just his 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 tone is always kind of yeah. he's got a he's got a tough tone, and so it's the whole thing. It's that's, now. Did he say that? Yeah, basically. So what was taken out of context? Because another article said the media jumped all over this. And blah, well, blah, they blah. did. I mean, it was. But he he was. That's what he was saying is we ought to if if we're going to mainstream students that aren't always mainstream, don't mainstream in the in the fastest stream. But why did he why did he pick a certain racial demographic group? I guess because that was part of the discussion in the case they were. So discussing. He, he was answering the question. I believe so. Yeah, but it was still. Huh. It's how do you yeah. guard against the. Uh, the inevitable leave the question out of yeah. what we hear and you get labeled as this is what's happening though i mean so now you've got scalia so a supreme court justice you've got how many political candidates that have stepped in it rama Emanuel's got a major pushback now what we need angela merkel <clears throat> by the way it's nobel peace prize day that's today today's the, by the way can you check the phones uh ben yeah. check to see if anyone's called yet okay not yet but I'll, I'll keep checking. I'm expecting two calls. Okay, from who? Uh, the Nobel Peace, Peace uh, Prize well, it's Association. Nobel prize. Yeah, hold on. What's it called? The, today's the prize, but uh, today I want the Nobel Prize Association. I don't know what they call them. <laughs> I'm waiting for a call from the Nobel laureates. Okay, I'll, I'll search it on Google. Just Well, don't search it. Just be watching the phones. Okay. Also, uh, the Elf Union. Okay. They may call would, it a complaint. Would that be an 801 number or – Will I need long-distance clearance yeah, for that one? Yeah, you'll need my long-distance card. Okay. Uh, and either of those calls I'll take on the air. What is the area okay. code to the North Pole? One. One? Just one. Pretty sure it's one. All right. Um, so Nobel Prize. Uh, Nobel Prize is out today, but Angela Merkel, she did it. No. Well, she, she got the time cover. She got the time cover. Oh, I want her to win the Nobel Peace Prize because she extended a hand to the refugees. I think it's already been announced. They announced them in October. Yeah. Oh, so now they're just awarding. Now it. they just have a, a ceremony and so I should have gotten awards. my call in in October. Yeah, quite a while ago. Bruh. So you either know or you don't know. So I guess I'm not up for this one. Maybe next year. I'm going to step up your efforts. You know, I'm just going to cross that off my list. <laughs> uh, Ixnay on the call. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we'll get it. In okay, October. but still from the Elf Union. Yeah, right? for sure. Okay, for sure. Or uh, <laughs> he's going to have a hearing. And complaints will be aired as to what the issue is with the elf that's assigned to his home that's delinquent. I mean, I hope he's not dead somewhere. Yeah. Lying in an elf ditch. An elf ditch? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's really shallow. I will take the call from that or if uh, maybe we'll do a missing persons. Should I call them or should I let them call us? Call them. See, and if the, yeah. no, the Nobel people, if it's they need important. an alternate, mm-hmm. you could step in. Sure. Take that prize. Do, call them. Call them and tell them that I am available as a runner-up. See if they have any openings at the moment. Do they do, <laughs> do, <they> do runner-ups? <laughs> oh, he's calling. Oh. Man, that phone sounds old. 
Yeah, rotary. You get your your finger would get pinched. It's a long that? number too. Wait, what's the last couple numbers? Five, five. Okay, I'll call them later. Niner, niner. <laughs> Today uh, we're going to be speaking with Doctor Matthew Wilson from SMU from SMU to talk about Mitt Romney. Is you know what we need? Well, and, and also politics in general. Yeah. But our interest was sparked because he they were there was a what a couple of weeks ago there was a lot of talk of will Mitt Romney jump into the race? Yeah, well he needs to now. In any way, he doesn't have to run. But I've decided what the GOP needs is an adult. Really, they need they need a father figure John, or a mother. It could be a mother figure. Isn't John Kasich sort of a father figure? Yeah, he seems sort of yeah, but he's kind of quiet. He okay. he might be with my elf. Um, but we need somebody to step in there and just start grounding people. Okay. And I'm thinking it might need to be Mitt Romney. Is he the guy to come in and bring mm-hmm. common sense? Because it's like they don't – now Donald's even saying he may run as an independent. Yeah. He, he'll do what he's got to do. It just depends if he's treated fairly. It's all about being treated fairly. And, Will they treat you with respect? Yeah. And so the GOP he doesn't respect – uh, we just need somebody in there that can just lay down the – that can lower the cane. Is that what it's called? Lower the boom. That can – not cane because that just – you know, we don't want to cane anyone. You want to have someone put people in their place mm-hmm. when they're out of line? Somebody needs to take them to somebody to the woodshed. <clears throat> and you think that's Mitt? Wasn't he, wasn't he criticized for being too sort of soft and squishy? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what he feels like. But – I do know that you're supposed to have somebody – there's supposed to be somebody that's respected. Okay. And he might be more respected than most in the party right now. We're going to find out from our great uh, guest, Dr. Matthew Wilson. We'll talk to him in a minute. Uh, but before we do that, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going on around the world, Terry? Thanks, Matt. There's good news and bad news for Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton in a new New York Times CBS national poll released this morning. Trump got his highest numbers in the poll, leading the Republican presidential field with 35 percent support versus 16 percent for his nearest rival, Ted Cruz, 13 percent Ben Carson and Marco Rubio earned 9 percent. The rest of the GOP had 4 percent or less in the poll on the Democratic side. Clinton led nearest rival Bernie Sanders by 20 percent. However, most Americans said they were concerned by both frontrunners. 40% of responders expressed fear, 24% concern about a President Trump, while 34% were scared and 23% concerned about President Clinton. Wow. So both frontrunners, people are like, eee. Terrified. I don't know if that's what I want. <laughs> kind of interesting that way. Yeah. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un said today that his country has developed a hydrogen bomb. Kim reportedly said his grandfather turned North Korea into a powerful nuclear weapons state, ready to detonate a self-reliant atomic bomb and hydrogen bomb to reliably defend its sovereign, its sovereignty and dignity to the nation. Wow. The hydrogen bomb has a stronger blast than the atomic bomb, but experts are skeptical North Korea even has the bomb. But nonetheless. Well, why would you today. doubt? I mean, North Korea has a unicorn. They do. So why would you doubt that they have the bomb? Absolutely. So... He's got the bomb. (laughs) The man accused of killing three people at a Planned Parenthood clinic last month in Colorado called himself a warrior for the babies during a Wednesday court hearing. I want the truth to come out. There's a lot more to this than me to go silently into the grave uh, 
there, there's a lot of things that they don't want to be known. Planned Parenthood and my lawyer are in cahoots to shut me up. So there's a conspiracy against him. His own lawyer. His own lawyer is working against yeah, he, him. He was speaking through his entire hearing. Yeah, he's a little unstable. Yeah. He's got the white eyes, the crazy mm-hmm. hair. He's not helping himself no. with, with that. But I don't think he wants to be no, He's helped. probably doing exactly what he wants. It's also reported that uh, Robert Deere shouted, I am guilty. There will be no trial. I am a warrior for the babies. While, sta- while standing before the judge, prosecutors announced 179 charges against Robert Deere, wow. including eight charges of first-degree murder. Mm. Uh, Saeed Farouk, one of the shooters who killed 14 people last week at a social services agency in California, was discussing staging a terrorist attack in Los Angeles with a neighbor as early as 2012, but got cold feet, investigators said on Wednesday. The neighbor identified as Enrique Marquez bought the two semi-automatic rifles used in the shootings in San Bernardino. Farouk was killed along with his wife. Uh, uh, Marquez is still being questioned by investigators. Uh, sources told the NBC News right after the shooting, Marquez checked himself into a uh, like a mental hospital, and and he was unavailable for a couple of days because of that. So kind of some wow. weird situation yeah. was going on there. They're lifelong friends. They they went they were involved in uh, Farouk was involved in Marquez's wedding hmm. type of things. So, I mean, just a lot of interaction, and they're they're really the police are looking at that. Yeah, that's friendship as as being more, and then you know purchasing the guns. Yeah. And he's the source that way. So, uh, FBI Director James Comey described the couple, the husband and wife that uh, carried out the shootings in San Bernardino, as homegrown violent extremists who were radicalized and dedicated to jihad as early as the end of 2013, before they started dating online, and even before the rise of ISIS. Hmm. So they were already headed that direction well before ISIS came into oh, the picture. That's scary. More positive news. Yes. Houston-based energy company Hillcorp has handed each of its 1,381 employees a $100,000 Christmas bonus. Uh, wow. Hillcorp, one of the U.S.'s largest privately held oil and natural gas exploration and production companies, for the last three years they've been named among Fortune's 100 best companies to work for. Mm. Hill, H-I-L Corp. H-I-L Corp. Uh, you know what, Ben? Take a note. Uh, send this to Don. Just send that news story to Don um, as potential benefits for the Matt Townsend Show team. Okay. Um, what are you writing on? I'm. It's like a paper on a really hard desk. Sounds like a chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Ask Don. Tell Don we don't need a hundred and whatever thousand. We'll twenty. Twenty thousand a person. Twenty thousand. Yeah. Okay. We'll discount. Christmas discount. Have should, him run that up the line to Derek. Should we have any extra disca- um, bonuses for this show? Or No, no. That's the only show I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, there will be the host bonus, which would be the full 100000 <laughs> Then the supportive staff bonus, which would be 20000 which would go to Terry and the producers. Right. And then- uh, Like total or individual? Total. Individually. Oh, good. 20. I don't want the pool. And but. then there will be the uh, just the Christmas bonus for you, Ben. Which is a for thirty thousand, right? A firm pat on the back, and uh, we'll see you next year. And a thirty dollars gift card to Target. <laughs> okay, we'll forget that. I noticed you quit taking the note. Yeah, I'm I'm done. Oh man, road. Yeah, just send that on to Don. I want to see if we can boost up our gift giving this week. I can see why your elf left you. Pardon? Come again? You you disrespect your workers. Your you elf. think you think my elf left me? Yeah. My elf would have gotten a $20,000 bonus from Don. 
Anyway, hey, in a minute, Dr. Matthew Wilson will be joining us uh, from Dallas, Texas, SMU, and he's going to be um, he's going to be we're going to pick his brain about uh, Mitt Romney and the role Mitt Romney might be playing when it when it comes down to uh, the GOP. I mean, they're they're in a really interesting battle, aren't they? And whether you like Trump or not, he's the lead. And it seems like a lot of other people are having a hard time getting some traction. Is there a way that Mitt Romney might need to step in and, you know, free some of uh, some of the GOP candidates from the muck that they find themselves in? Stick with us. We'll find out from the experts, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, Mitt Romney uh, has already run for president twice and lost twice. And despite his recent uh, weighing in on political issues over the last few months, we've heard him state on several occasions that he is not planning on joining this presidential race, only sharing his love and concern for the nation and looking to support other Republican Party members. Well, with the former candidate taking uh, much of the political spotlight at times, it raises some concerns. And one of the things that uh, is also you see going on with Donald Trump occupying so much of the airtime, the airspace, and just the agenda setting for this race, uh, it's it's hard for other candidates to even get any attention or time. And so maybe there is a place for Mitt Romney to, uh, to come in and impact this race. We wanted to talk to a, an expert on the subject. Dr. Matthew Wilson is joining us from Dallas, Texas today. Dr. Wilson is an associate professor of political science in the Dedman College of Humanities and Sciences at Southern Methodist University. He specializes in politics and voting behavior of religious voters, as well as public opinion elections, religion, and politics. And we welcome him to the show today. Dr. Matthew Wilson, wel- welcome again. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. Hey, what do you think about this? Um, well, first of all, I mean, Donald Trump is just sucking all of the air out of the election, isn't he? Absolutely. He's dominating media coverage. Uh, he hasn't had to spend a dime yeah. on advertising because he gets so much free media. But that has really made it difficult for other candidates to get their message across and get the sort of name recognition and traction that they need. It seems like to me what the GOP needs. Now, you're the pro. I'm just a hack. But it seems like to me the GOP, the there's no respect necessarily, it doesn't seem like, from toward uh, the the party leaders – when, when it comes from Trump, I mean, Trump's just kind of a renegade and there's no it, there's just no one, it seems like, in charge of the process of the GOP. Is this a normal thing? Are the candidates usually as free as they are right now? It seems like the, the, the actual party itself used to have a little more power. Well, it's a process that we've seen unfolding over the last several decades as the, the party machinery in both the Democratic and the Republican parties. Uh, has lost influence over the primary process. Uh, and this is really just the culmination of that, of showing that party elites aren't in control anymore. Hmm. Um, we saw that a little bit, frankly, in 2008 when Barack Obama won the Democratic nomination because clearly the, the choice of party elites that year was Hillary Clinton. That's true, huh? Um, 
and, and Obama broke through that and surprised by winning the nomination. Uh, and I think certainly uh, elites in the Republican Party are viewed with skepticism uh, by a lot of Republican voters, particularly people in the Tea Party movement. And, and so there's just no central apparatus that can direct the process. Mm. And it seems like uh, uh, Trump's stealing all the thunder, all of the air, but Cruz has kind of maneuvered his way into basically number two. But it seems like if anyone could steal Iowa, it's it's going to be Ted Cruz. Is that is that a likelihood? Is I mean, because is, isn't Cruz more of the conservative candidate of the GOP conservative? Yes, Cruz is a very conservative candidate. He is also uh, perceived as about as much an outsider as you can be as a sitting U.S. senator. Right. So he has some appeal to the Trump constituency. Uh, the other person to look at is Marco Rubio. Um, I don't know that Rubio will necessarily win Iowa, but Rubio is starting to show uh, some national level strength. And I would say at this point that uh, Trump Cruz and Rubio are, are clearly the three uh, leading contenders for the nomination. And if we look at it, so Trump is kind of the true outsider, um, not necessarily, you know, supported by the the religious, you know, conservatives. But uh, he's he's a renegade. He's saying it like he feels it. And he's kind of the anti-establishment candidate. Uh, Cruz, it seems like, is a little more or is, uh, supported by the religious right and then Rubio, it seems like, is supported a little bit more by kind of the the traditional uh, establishment GOP. Is that accurate? I think I think that's basically true. Although I would say about Rubio that he actually is quite conservative. So he's not your typical okay. establishment that's Republican right. figure. That is, Rubio is not say in the mold of Chris Christie or even Jeb Bush. He's more conservative than that, but he is less bombastic, flamboyant, right. over-the-top than, than certainly Trump or even Ted Cruz. Hmm. Uh, so he may turn out to be the establishment's best bet, and we may see some coalescing of their support behind Rubio if he starts to get traction in the early states. Interesting, yeah. And um, one of the things we where we found uh, you, Matthew, was in an article about Romney coming back in and maybe either running um, or just being kind of a deal maker that's going to, you know, push around all of his resources and all of his uh, followers. Do you, where do you sense Romney is in all of this? Is he? Do you sense he would enter back in the race after seeing kind of the power of Trump, or do you think he'll just be a backer? Where do you think he's going to play out in all of this? Well, I don't think there's any realistic path for him to actually run for president at this point. It's, it's just too late in the game. And moreover, it's not clear what he would bring that someone like Jeb Bush, for example, doesn't bring. Right. Uh, that is, if people want to coalesce behind uh, a, you know, a credible, respectable establishment figure, he's right there in the race, right? I mean, right. Just, he's there, yeah. Behind Bush. And they're not interested um, right now. Exactly. And, you know, Romney has lost twice running for president. Yeah. So it, it's not as if he's this kind of revered elder statesman of the Republican Party. He's not Ronald Reagan. Yeah. You know, he's not right. this kind of iconic figure that Republicans would necessarily rush to unite behind. I mean, I think that most Republicans, of course, voted for Mitt Romney, and most Republicans have a fairly favorable opinion of Mitt Romney. 
but he doesn't have the kind of cachet that an iconic figure like a Reagan could, yeah. who could really throw his weight around and change the outcome of the race. He's not a kingmaker. That's right. Is he? Would it? Would it help? Like I sit and look at. Would it help um, if he if a Romney did come out and and support one candidate? If, if he put his energy behind Rubio and maybe set Rubio up to to win uh, New Hampshire. That could potentially be helpful, but there's a fine line for Rubio to walk because Rubio wants to win that establishment support while at the same time not alienating mm. the conservative activist base. Yeah, right. So he doesn't want to be seen as too much a creature of the establishment. Uh, and, you know, Mitt Romney is very much an establishment Republican. Yeah. So for right now, Rubio might prefer to keep folks like Romney at arm's length. I mean, their quiet support behind the scenes uh, in lining up donors, in lining up establishment backers could really be helpful. But Rubio doesn't want to be seen as Romney version three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, that's not helpful to his campaign. And he is more conservative and is more tied in to the Tea Party movement, for example, uh, than Romney would be. Yeah. So they're, they're not exactly the same in terms of their ideological profile. Which is what's so powerful and I think interesting because um, Ra- uh, Rubio and Cruz were both kind of Tea Partiers, right? That's right. They were both very much supported by Tea Party movements in their own state. Now, the difference is that that once they got to Washington, Rubio seemed more interested in trying to work within the system, form bipartisan coalitions, uh, become an effective senator, whereas Cruz seemed interested from day one in trying to build a national representation, reputation, being uh, cantankerous, mm-hmm. being disruptive, uh, being a real kind of outsider voice. And so they took somewhat different paths once they got to Washington. It's so inch It is, isn't it? Because, I mean, for years, Cruz was just, just, I don't know, hated, it seemed like. Every, everything was about how Cruz was creating a lot of the problems in Congress and Senate, I mean. But is do you sense that um, when – now we have a Trump, kind of this – the anti-establishment, anti-everything, government kind of candidate. But then you have basically two Tea Partiers that are leading. So of the three out of the 14 – it's pretty clear that this isn't your normal election. This is a there's a major seeming referendum going on in the GOP. That's right, and it shows how much the window of acceptability ideologically has shifted yeah. when Marco Rubio becomes the establishment representative. <laughs> yeah. Because he is he is quite conservative. He had Tea Party backing when he uh, ran for Senate in Florida, but. If, if it's a Rubio rather than, say, a Chris Christie or a Jeb Bush that the establishment coalesces behind, uh, that shows that the GOP primary electorate has shifted decidedly to the right. Mm. Man, what is this like for you? I mean, a professor of political science, have you seen anything like this? I really haven't. Uh, and with the caveat that we'll wait and see once the voting actually starts yeah. how, how much legs the Trump movement really has. Uh, That's what you don't know. uh, We don't know. We don't know how many of these people who say to pollsters that they support Trump will actually pull that lever in in the voting booth or how many of them will actually show up 
on a you know 12 degree night in early February in Iowa right. to go to a three hour meeting and support Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Trump's voters, Trump supporters tend to be uh, lower education, less likely to have voted in Republican primaries or caucuses in the past. Um, and those are exactly the kinds of people whose turnout is very difficult to predict and right. is very erratic. So, uh, so we'll see how, how much uh, staying power that movement has. But, yeah, absolutely, to this point, it has been a remarkable uh, election season. And it has been – it really has, has come to manifest the level of discontent with the establishment that exists, uh, especially in the Republican Party. But, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, has shown that there's some of that in the Democratic yeah. Party as well. Isn't it? It really is fascinating. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Matthew Wilson um, from Southern Methodist University and we are we're just picking his brain when it comes to politics, all things political. We wanted to to ask him when we come back, I want to get into to Trump a bit. The specialty of Dr. Wilson is religion and politics, and it seems like uh, Donald Trump hit on a vein of that uh, in the last few days that has just turned the the political world upside down. We uh, will continue this discussion with Professor Matthew Wilson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone from Dallas, Texas, Dr. Matthew Wilson, uh, professor of Associate Professor of Political Science in the Dedman College of Humanities and Sciences at Southern Methodist University. He's currently working on two book projects, one on the political behavior of American Catholics, and another is dealing with how citizens decide whom to hold accountable for social and political outcomes. We've uh, asked him on the show today to just uh, walk us through what's going on politically around the world and around our country. Um, Dr. Wilson, thank you again for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. You bet. Hey, one thing we were talking about before the break is that uh, the voters or the people that tend to be following Donald Trump, uh, maybe a little uh, um, kind of the working maybe class uh, voter, but also not necessarily people that have historically been turning out and voting in past elections – uh, I, I heard somewhere that they paralleled it a little bit to um, kind of what Ronald Reagan was able to do in get getting and finding people, maybe the Reagan Democrat or whatever that to to that loved him enough, and he in, invigorated them and charged them up, and actually Reagan was able to motivate them enough to get to the polls. Do you see this paralleling? Not that Trump in any way is Reagan. <laughs> But do you see it paralleling kind of the ability to draw in voters that might not normally have been voting and part of the process? Well, I would say one important difference is that Reagan began with very strong and deep roots in the conservative movement. Hmm. And so Reagan had really strong support among ideologically committed conservatives. Yeah, the historic conservative, right? Yeah. Right. Trump doesn't have a lot of appeal to that constituency. That is, when you look at the people who are supporting Trump, for the most part, 
they are not the people who identify as very conservative. Mm -hmm. They're not the people who are lifelong Republican loyalist voters. Uh, They're people who are somewhat disaffected from the system, may even be irregular voters. Uh, They are some of that uh, blue-collar, downscale white constituency, which are people who have been gravitating more towards the Republican Party in recent years, uh, but but they're not really the ideological core of the Republican Party. So Donald Trump is not really an ideological movement hmm. candidate, yeah. uh, which, which makes sense given that his positions, frankly, are all over the map. <laughs> right. Right? He's got left-wing positions, yeah. he's got right-wing positions, he's got positions that defy categorization. I mean, he's really not an ideological candidate. Uh, he's... He, uh, speaks to a certain frustration that exists in the electorate. Uh, but disaffected, frustrated people typically turn out at fairly low rates. Okay. So if Trump can somehow manage to get them to show up in primaries and caucuses, that will be a remarkable political phenomenon. We'll see how well that plays out. Is, does it in any way equate to his turnouts? I mean, every time you hear Donald talk, he talks about how many people come to his his rallies. I mean... Is is there an equation between attendance at rallies and voting? Uh, traditionally, the answer to that is no. Huh. That is, measuring people's crowds on the campaign trail has turned out over time to be a fairly poor predictor of how they're actually going to do in the primaries and caucuses. Just to give you an example, uh, Bernie Sanders draws much bigger crowds than Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. But nobody thinks Bernie Sanders is going to win the That's Democratic a great point. Nomination. Uh, so it's like you're going for a show more. You're maybe not with Bernie, but you're going for an event. Exactly. For with Trump's rallies, a lot of people are there just to see the circus. They're not necessarily (laughs) expecting to to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, They just, they see it as an event. It's, uh, it, it's you know rather like somebody who might go attend a WWE wrestling match, uh, an event with which Trump once had an association, by the way. <laughs> uh, but if, if people go see WWE, um, some of the people there are true believers and think this is a real sport. Other people are sort of know that this is not for real, but they're just there to witness the spectacle and have sort of a bemused, fun experience. Yeah. And I think there's some of that going on with Trump's rallies. That's a great way to put it, the circus. Um, it really, I, I guess this is probably why he, he can, he's successfully able to draw 25% maybe of the vote. Because, I mean, he really, he, he's not going to just win over all of the GOP, but he's going to get that maybe disaffected part. Exactly. And in a crowded field, which is certainly what the Republicans have right now, 25 percent is enough to make you the front runner right. uh, because the rest of the candidates are dividing up the vote into so many little slices. The, the problem is that, that Donald Trump seems to have a hard cap on his level of support. Uh, it's hard to envision him going that much beyond 25 to 30 percent of the vote, because while Trump has more people who list him as their first choice than anybody else, he's also got more people who list him as their last choice Mm -hmm. than anybody else. Uh, And, you know, I don't think a lot of people think of Donald Trump as their second choice. Uh, That is, either either you are on board with Donald Trump or you think that a Trump candidacy would be a nightmare. And, And therefore, I think as the field starts to get winnowed, and as the non-Trump options become fewer, I think it's much easier for a candidate other than Trump to consolidate rapidly 
uh, some of the votes from other people mm. than it would be for Trump himself to do. Do you, do you agree with uh, Governor Scott Walker, who was in the race and then got out of the race, uh, he said to, I guess, to clear the field. Do you believe that some of these people, maybe at the, the lower uh, end of the polling, maybe those that aren't polling at all, uh, ought to get out so to allow votes and attention and focus to go elsewhere? I think so. You want to extend to people the right to have their shot in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, But if you haven't broken through in Iowa or New Hampshire, it's time to leave. And we start we will start to see an exodus uh, after that point. Um, People want to hang around in Iowa because there's a long track record of candidates roaring out of nowhere to catch fire in the last week or two uh, before the Iowa caucuses to end up doing well. And, and everybody kind of hopes that they'll be that person. That happened with John Kerry in 2004, and he went on to become the Democratic nominee. That's Kerry right. came out of nowhere uh, to win the Iowa caucuses. Uh, likewise, uh, in, in uh, uh, 2012, Rick Santorum did very, very well in the Iowa caucuses, kind of coming out of nowhere. Now, you know, Santorum obviously didn't go on to be the Republican nominee, but a lot of people hope that they'll catch fire that way. Right. But, but it's, if they don't, it's, it is time to exit the field and, and let the winnowing process mm. begin. Hey, give me your take. Uh, it's rare that we have an expert that both knows politics and religion. What's your take on uh, Donald Trump's latest comments about uh, immigration of Muslims into this country, banning it? Well, uh, I mean, I'll say substantively, I think the proposal is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's ridiculous and is offensively over the top and broad brush. Now, putting that aside, saying politically, uh, I think this may be the, the time where he's begun to go too far. Now, we've said that before, <laughs> and it right. hasn't, and his yeah. uh, statements have not ended he up. He started perfect. that way, right? He started with all of us saying, uh, that whole that whole Mexico border thing, you've gone too far. Right. And, and that ended up not hurting him. Now, I, I don't think it will hurt him that much with the 25 percent of people that he's got now. Right. But what it does do, I think, is really solidify in the minds of some people who might have been on the fence that Trump is just a completely unacceptable choice as mm. a presidential nominee. I think it cements in the minds of a lot of other Republicans that Trump at the top of the ticket would be an epic disaster for the Republican Party. Uh, and and I, I think it, it, that comments like this that are so widely condemned and, and just so beyond the pale uh, serve to reinforce for people the, the idea that they need to pull out all the stops and do whatever they can to prevent Trump from being mm. Republican. What do you think he's doing? Because it seems like to me he's an incredibly smart marketer. He knows trends. He knows how to move people. So he it seems like to me he must think this would somehow serve him. I, I personally believe he's just trying to suck all of the air out of the election until January. But well, because I, I have a hard time believing that. that this is where he would want to go. I mean, it seems like what he'd want to start doing is winning the rest of the conservative vote, not alienating people. This is the problem, uh, because while these kind of remarks serve to keep him in the news, they serve to fire up 
the you know 25 percent of the Republican Party that already says that they support him. Right. Uh, They they serve to you know reinforce his image as a guy who speaks his mind and somebody who thinks outside the box and all of that. Uh, What it doesn't do is create any kind of a viable path to actually being president of the United States. Because at some point, if you really want to be president of the United States, and he claims that that is his goal and that is his end game, uh, if that's what you really want, you have to ultimately win over not just your 25% of the Republican Party base. You've got to win a majority of support within the Republican Party. And then eventually you have to win a majority of support in the whole country. Right. To be president of the United States, you've got to put together a broad national coalition and alienating systematically one group after another (laughs) just doesn't create a viable path to winning 50 percent plus one of the American electorate. And and so I think that, you know, Trump's keeping himself in the news. But if the goal is ultimately really to be president of the United States, I think he set himself back. Well, maybe and maybe that just taught us what his real goal is, is just to remain in the news. If he just wants to remain viable, this is going to be marketable for a long time. He'll make a lot of money off of this. Right. Although, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much money he's actually making. No, right now he's not. Yeah, it's hard to figure out uh, because he actually has had a little bit of commercial blowback from his uh, campaign in that some retailers are starting to drop his Trump line. That's true, huh? uh, And things like that. But the notoriety that he's gotten is is enormous. Of course, Donald Trump didn't lack for notoriety before, (laughs) but it just it seems like he's having a really good time. Uh, And on some level, we should not discount the impact of just the fun factor. Yeah, uh, that he's loving it. And, and, you know, at some point, maybe he gets tired of it, but there's no, there's no sign of that so far. Well, and one thing, I mean, it doesn't always work because it's always inflammatory, but he, one thing he does do is he sets agendas. I mean, he gets everybody talking. He has, he has everybody at least discussing now more about what we should be doing with borders and immigration, but he does it in such an offensive way that everyone's kind of raw. So the conversation seems to turn pretty angry. It's true. And, you know, one effect in some ways is it it could provide over time some cover to someone like Ted Cruz, who is, you know, very, very uh, strong uh, anti-illegal immigration, uh, really is a hardliner on immigration issues, refugee issues. Um, Trump, though, is so outrageous, so over the top on those questions that he can make Cruz's positions look reasonable by comparison. Cruz is moderate, right? Exactly. So, I mean, and Cruz has been very effective at triangulating that in the sense of positioning himself as a candidate who can say, look, I'm I'm very conservative, but I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's the alternative that that, uh, he can position himself as. And, And, And in that sense, you know, and if you notice, Cruz is, of all the candidates in the field, the one least likely to criticize Trump. He doesn't come out and endorse what Trump says, right? Cruz didn't say, yeah, Trump is right. No Muslim should be able to come to the United States. He's not going to say that. But on the other hand, he doesn't make the kind of uh, condemnation statements that other Republicans do. He just wants to sort of draft in Trump's wake for right now. Just kind of follow along, waiting for Trump eventually to stumble 
uh, and, and eventually for that support to start to evaporate once the voting actually takes place. And, and to try to position himself as the heir to those, uh, you know, angry, disaffected Trump supporters. Mm. We'll see how, how well that works for him. That is, you know, I think, I think that's such, uh, such great analysis. Well, Dr. Wilson, we appreciate you. This is great insight. And uh, keep up the wonderful research there. Uh, we're going to have you back. I, I really want to get into also your work on the religious side and what's happening with the evangelical vote. And is it as powerful as it used to be? So we'll have to have you back to talk to us about that. Well, that would be great. I would enjoy that. Dr. Matthew Wilson, again, from SMU, uh, really just a great resource. You see him all over the news. He's He's been on every channel. Uh, we truly appreciate him. He's a great insight. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, do a quick wrap-up of this first hour of the program. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, what do you think of that? I mean, it's the, the political world right now, is it's just upside down. And you bring in these uh, experts that have been studying it for years, and it's fascinating. It also shows you that, you know, a lot can change, right? A lot can change between now and uh, even just at the end of January when we get into the Iowa caucus and once voting starts to take place, I'm going to bet this thing will be upside down. There will be major shifts, major changes. So just hang on, but keep getting informed, for heaven's sakes. Keep getting informed. Because remember, eventually when, when this person becomes president, that's it. They're the voice. They're the voice of the country. And uh, whoever wins, I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. They're going to be representing you. So we want to give you all the information we can. And it's also important, by the way, because uh, once they become the leader, then they're probably going to have a life-size sculpture of themselves made out of chocolate, just like uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin did. He had a chocolate, I guess more than a bust, a a statue made of himself. Organizers of Russia's uh, Festival of Chocolate said this year's event will feature a life-size chocolate sculpture of Vladimir Putin and his dog, by the way. The festival scheduled to begin December 5th in St. Petersburg will feature a 170-pound sculpture of the Russian president as well as a chocolate sculpture of his dog, Connie. Aww. The sculpture said they plan to submit Putin's sculpture to the Guinness World uh, Book of World Records for the largest sculpture of a secular leader. I guess there's already been uh, religious leaders that have been sculpted in chocolate, but never a secular leader. Yeah, I think it's a sign of respect, especially if it's in chocolate. Yeah. Well, it's respect until somebody's like chewing his finger off. Yeah. I mean, some some kid goes up and breaks his finger. I mean, you're in trouble, dude. You don't mess with Vlad. He's dipping it in some peanut butter. (laughs) Anyway, so someday there might be a life-size sculpture of Trump or Cruz or Senator... Uh, Rubio or Hillary Rodham Clinton. Hmm. Scary days ahead, folks. Someday. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We're trying to help you find the good in the world and uh, giving you the tools along the way. We'll be right back. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side, bringing you the playbook, the information, the data, the the stuff you need in order to grow a healthier, happier life. You know, we weren't just born with a user's manual. We have to make it up as we go. So we uh, on the show like to bring you just the latest research in human development and growth in life. And man, today we're going to blow your mind with some of the latest and greatest advancements in science. What if I told you, let's say you had bone cancer and or you had a, a damaged bone, like like shattered. Right. And usually there's pins and clips yeah. or maybe they just, you can't save it. No, can't save it. So, I mean, sometimes I guess they could... They'll just build one. They'll make you stronger, titanium. But then you got to deal with TSA, you know? And they're just getting yeah, on you. You have to have a card and then some yeah. numbskull can't figure out that you have a prosthetic. And, and then there's some guy squeezing on your leg. Yeah. It's awkward. You just All you want to do is get on an airplane. Right. So what if I told you that they could actually just grow you your own bone? Just grow it. Just um, – what, what do you want? I'd like a bone. I'd like a femur. Grow me a femur, please. Okay. So let's say you've have a you've shattered your femur. They now can, or they're they're in the early stages of being able to just take. A, by the way, a printer, just a what do they call them? Digital printer. What do they call them? Three D printer. Three D printer, and they'll print a framework for that bone. They'll go in and measure what they need, and figure out what you need. Then they'll take your cells. Inject them in, stem cells in, bada boom, bada bing, they can grow you a bone. Not hmm. throw you a bone. That's different. They'll right. grow you the exact femur you need. Huh. And it's your – they're your cells. So your body won't reject it. Now you don't have to go through TSA and have them playing with your leg. Boom. You're in. You might want them to replace your other femur because the one your new femur yeah. may be better. It might be stronger. Right. It might be faster. So what you're saying is we have the technology. We have <laughs> the technology. So we're going to be talking with uh, the people that are in charge of this, that are the ones doing the deal, that are running the company that help you figure out how to grow bones. Do you hear they're remaking the $6 million man? Really? What's Making what he's, a movie. He's got to be worth $36 million now. Like billions. Yeah, he's it's a billion. It's like the $2 billion He's the billionaire. Man. Billion, billion dollar I think, man. I think Mark Wahlberg is doing it. Oh, he, that's great. One of the Wahlbergs. That, by the way, evolved. used to be one of my favorite shows ever. I yeah. had I had, I had, had him, the bionic man. I had the doll. Action figure. The, Come on. It was a doll back then. No, action figure. My, you, my, <laughs> when I was a kid, this different story. When I was a kid, I played with G.I. Joe's. Yeah. The six oh, so the I. six inch tall action. Yeah, the ones figures, that you could right? rub their hair off? Yes. Yeah. If you wanted to. I rubbed a bald spot on mine. Now, when I was a kid there was a tax 
uh, lawsuit uh-huh. because Hasbro that makes those toys, mm-hmm. they were trying. There's some tax benefit they get if it's called a doll versus an action figure. Yeah, but they didn't want it to be called a doll because boys don't play with dolls. Boys play with action figures. It would ruin their toy line <laughs> if it was classified, even under just tax purposes, yeah. a doll. Yeah, I was. I was. Fur- I was steadily in the action figure camp on that argument. It is not a doll. You need to just let it go. It's not a doll. It's an action figure. So So be careful. You had an action figure. Okay. I had a doll that looked like a man. (sighs) But mine was incredible because if you, you could roll his sleeve up. You could roll his arm up. You could pull his skin back, and you'd see his bionics. See, like the machine inside? Uh-huh. Wow. You could also look through his, his, the back of his head. This is kind of creepy. Yeah. But you could look through the back of his head, and you could see through his eye. Nice. Because he had a bionic eye. Did he jump really slow? No, but when he did jump, it was like... Really? And if you push the thing on his back, he would lift up a car engine. Okay. Yeah. He's strong. So, by the way, if you're looking for a Christmas gift. DVDs of the $6 million man. Yeah. And or, or the bionic woman. Oh, she was we're not. We're not going to discriminate here. Either way. She was my second girlfriend. Have you ever heard of these, Ben? These are TV shows? These are all out of Yes, Ben's. I've heard of them. Have you watched these shows? No. The special effects for the, of the $6 million man and the bionic woman to jump <laughs> to the top of a building were just to slow down the camera and they just in slow motion would jump or they would slow motion punch or kick it's or whatever so... it's always slow motion and then that sound effect the mat- <laughs> yeah it was it was so bad it, it really um <laughs> but at the time you're like wow which yeah you can't tell which is you know if it's real is that really the noise that he makes um anyway so we are true blue we're going to be talking to these people that that make bones. Uh, we'll be getting to that in a few moments. But also another crazy advancement that you may have heard about is caffeinated toothpaste with – which I don't understand. What? So that that's the sound effect for caffeine. That's how I feel. Did you, did you look that sound effect up under caffeine? Because that sounds like electricity. Well, I feel like I'm electrified when I – drink caffeine man listen to this the wonder gel is called power energy toothpaste and it's set to launch via a crowdfunding campaign in january on indiegogo the idea is you can get much quicker buzz when you smear caffeine around on your gums while brushing your teeth the makers of power energy toothpaste say the pasty elixir will contain about 80 milligrams of caffeine per milliliter of toothpaste this is a problem can't you just see your kids come in and say, Daddy, I can't sleep. I'm totally amped. Go to bed, Tommy, but brush your teeth. But not <laughs> but not with the power energy toothpaste. Well, and then the big thing with like cocaine is you rub it on your gums when you're done. How do you how do you know? Whoa, what's hey. Wow, this went dark. We're Did you notice about, how dark that we're just about went? Goofy toothpaste here. Wow. Ben Lawson in Bad Boys. I'm just trying to connect things. He's running through the streets on the next episode. Ben, we don't need to tell our guests, our listeners, how to test cocaine. Wow. Goodness gracious. I mean, you can watch most primetime TV shows (gasps) and get that. That's a fall. That's a fall from grace. That's just crazy. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) caffeinated toothpaste, huh? So what's going to be next? 
But you just can I just suggest as a father, don't let your kids brush their teeth at nights with caffeinated toothpaste. Yes, that would be – it wouldn't work. My kid would bounce off the walls. I'm going to bet you'll have sleep problems. Right. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Terry, anything going on around the world? Thanks, Matt. The Republican presidential frontrunner has earned a praise of one of America's leading neo-Nazi politicians. Donald Trump is the real deal, says William Daniel Johnson, chairman of the white supremacist American Freedom Party. As a leader in the racist party, I fully endorse Donald Trump. He said Trump. this is a unique phenomenon in modern politics. It is a throwback to a previous era, he added in the past. Johnson and his party have called for the stripping of citizenship for all but non-Hispanic whites of European race. Wow. So They've already equated him to Hitler, and now he's getting endorsements from parties he doesn't want. There you go. Muhammad Ali pulled no punches when it came to calling out both terrorists behind the Paris and San Bernardino attacks and those who want to keep Muslims out of the United States. The statement was uh, titled, Presidential Candidates Proposing to Ban Muslim Immigration to the United States. The champ said, I'm a Muslim and there is nothing Islamic about killing innocent people. The former heavyweight champ told NBC News, the true true Muslims know that the ruthless violence of so-called Islamic jihadists go against the very tenets of our religion. Ali called on all his fellow Muslims to stand up to those who use Islam to advance their own personal agenda and said such extremists have alienated many from learning about Islam. True Muslims know or should know that it goes against our religion to try and force Islam on anybody. That's cool. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar also came out this with is a what, statement This against. is what I think Americans need to just hear hear true Muslims talking, right? And I would love to put Muhammad Ali in a cage fight with Donald Trump. Even right now? Right now, even. I think it'd still go pretty well. He could take care of him? <laughs> yeah. Protesters who have been calling for Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel to step aside ever since the video of the fatal police shooting of 17-year-old Laquan McDonald was made public were not moved by the mayor's apology on Wednesday. Hundreds of protesters marching through the streets near Chicago City Hall blocking traffic and chanting 16 shots and a cover-up also shut it down. The crowd, uh, which set out from uh, Delaney Plaza in the early afternoon, was peaceful but angry. On Wednesday, the mayor apologized for the 2014 shooting of a black teenager during a special city council meeting that he called to discuss the police abuse scandal at the center of the biggest crisis of his administration. We need a painful but honest reckoning of what went wrong. Every day that we held on to the video contributed to the public's distrust, and that needs to change. The Chicago mayor promised complete and total reform to restore trust in the police. Do we know when do we know when Mayor Emanuel uh, first saw the video? I don't know if that's been. Uh, I think he saw it pretty early on. So and it was. So it's pretty much since when he saw it, we should be accounting for it. Yes, not sitting on it for an entire year because he was running for office at the time is yeah. kind of what the speculation is. Hmm. Interesting there. Yeah. Barely half of adults are now middle income earners, defined as a household making between 42000 and 126000 annually. The percentage has been falling steadily since 1971. A new Pew Research study says that as the middle class has hollowed out, the upper income bracket has grown from 14 to 21 percent of Americans. And the lower income tier has grown from 16 to 20 percent of Americans. Hmm. So it used to be that the middle class was over was the majority and now yeah. it's barely half of the united states and that's probably even dual incomes right so yes. this is yeah hmm. 
as life gets tougher. Um, and a, on a lighter note, anyone who texts a lot has likely puzzled over the tone of a message, which uh, was she serious or sarcastic? Is he angry or joking? The lack of nonverbal cues like tones and facial expression make it hard to tell. But a new study has found that we seem to have learned one rule. Adding a period at the end of your text makes it seem less sincere. Really? That's what they found. At Binghamton uh, University in New York, probably said that wrong, the study had 126 undergrads evaluate a number of one-worded text message responses like, sure, and yep, Y-E-P. <laughs> they uh, terminated with various forms of punctuation. The texts that ended in periods were rated as being less sincere, yet handwritten notes with the same message and punctuation were not found to be less sincere. See, this is why we don't need to punctuate. The exclamation mark notably produced the opposite effect, making the response sound more sincere to participants. Okay. So a period, less sincere, exclamation point, sincere, because you're excited, apparently. Wow. Now everyone's going to be But then they ex- said that now- Exclaiming! Now we're finding ways to evolve with emoticons yeah. and different yeah. things to be able to express emotions, so we're getting past the, the problem of the- uh, isn't that there. interesting? That's really interesting because now you have to check your emotion. What is my emotion? Is it a period or is it an exclamation point or a question mark? What am I feeling? I usually don't send the text if it's sarcastic yeah. because it's probably not going to be taken the way I want it to be. It's probably going to be read seriously That's and not true. as a joke. That's why all the producers always come in and like, is Terry mad? Yeah. I guess if I put a smiley face at the end. Always put a smiley face. That yeah. always works for me. Or, okay. or like a heart. I like it when you send me the heart one. Like, hey, have, we're going to have a great show tomorrow. It's going to be great. Double heart, smiley right. face, thumbs up. Right. Helicopter. So, helicopter. feel like you're my cheerleader. Hospital. <laughs> yeah, none of those. Don't get to those. Hey, uh, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Nina Tandon will be joining us. She's the CEO and co-founder of Epibone, a company that grows bones from your own cells. Imagine the day when you need a, you know, you need a, a different or a new femur or a bone or, or you need help eventually organs can you imagine the day that we're creating your own kidney for your own kidney transplant well this is the company that's doing it uh, we'll take a break folks dr nina tandon will be joining us we're talking about uh innovations in science and technology this is the matt townsend show we'll be right back Oh, yeah. The mm-hmm. Okay, let's introduce our next guest. What better music than, uh, you know, medicine has come leaps and bounds in the last 100 years. Today, heart transplants, bone grafts are realities that help heal illnesses and injuries in a way that was previously unimaginable. And we're taking another step forward in the direction of miraculous medical advancements. Our guest today, Dr. Nina Tandon, is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Epibone, a company that grows bones from your own cells. She joins us now live from New York City to to explain uh, what's going on in her company there. Dr. Tandon, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. You know, you need to use that song, Damn Bones, more in like your advertisements. Good thing we're not advertising anytime soon. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you've got, you'll have time to get the rights. Um, yeah. 
Talk to us, uh, Nina, about what you're doing. I mean, this, this company. I know you're you're just you're you're just barely getting this thing started, but uh, you now can basically grow bone from my own stem cells. Sure. You know, if we'd had a little bit of time to prepare, we might have been able to do that prior to the show. Oh man, that would have been fun. <laughs> I don't know what I would do with it, but that would have been fun. Yeah. Talk about it. So, I mean, I we just had a guy on the show the other day talking about MRSA. And so I can imagine that if you had like a disease or a disorder, something that went in and, and damaged your, your femur, for example, and ate some of your bone, I would imagine, you know, to be able to transplant or use my own, you know, stem cells and my own grown bone would be an advantage compared to using other, you know, you know, metals or other things to rebuild the body. Right. Well, I mean, taking a cellular approach in a way is um, going back to basics because the, the cells that are in our bodies grow and repair our bones every single day of our lives. So why not harness the power of those cells to grow bones in, in the lab? Is talk about how, how did we used to do this? How I guess we would just have a transplanted bone. We'd go get a bone from a cadaver. How would that work? Right. Well, so we, um, if you need human bone for um, any number of procedures, which could range from cancer to trauma to congenital defects and the list, or dental, the list goes on, the, the only way to get human bone is quite literally to cut it out of a human. And as you mentioned, um, you can either get that bone from a, you know, a donor tissue, from um, cadaver tissue, or to, um, for, for many procedures, to cut it out of yourself. So that's what's mm. called an autograft. Um, and so they might cut a piece of your iliac crest out or maybe um, that part of your elbow that we call the funny bone. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, that's really the gold standard. And then, of course, for other procedures, um, we've developed synthetic implants that might be made out of metal or polymers or things like that. Um, so, so we hope that by taking this approach, we can do better than synthetic implants, um, but also um, avoid the, the, the added pain in, of having... Um, and complications of having second surgeries. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. Why, why, if you don't have to have more surgery, the less, the better, I guess. Talk about your, your company, Epibone. You're just barely really up and at it, right? You've only been at this a couple of years, haven't you? Yeah, it's hard. You know, with any science-based company, it's really hard to say, um, when did you begin? Because um, our, our work is actually based on 20 plus years of NI, of uh, government sponsored research. Mm-hmm. Um, in the academic lab, right? So we've been, you know, members of our team have been growing bones for, you know, 10 plus years, um, more than that. Um, but the, the real transition for a technology like ours is when does it start getting ready um, to the point where you say, you know, it's not basic science anymore. We really need to start doing the development to see um, how will this work in humans? How does it work the same as it does in the lab? Um, let's, you know, start testing it in, um, you know, in, in more relevant scenarios. So in our case, that means transitioning into um, preclinical testing and then moving towards human clinical trials. So you're, yes. you're currently doing this in, in um, pigs, I guess, or animals, right? Yeah, we're in, in large animals now. Um, and we started that first, um, so we incorporated the company after we had some really good results in um, large animals, um, in, in pigs specifically, and we um, incorporated two years ago, and that's when we started raising money. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's really tough to say when is the starting line for yeah. us. We started operations as a fully independent lab with employees 
only in October of last year. Amazing. Talk about the process. So, so let's say I need a graph or I need I need a bone, and, and what will you do? If and what do my surgeons do? How does this work? How do you grow bone? Right. So, so you, Matt, would go to the um, the doctor, and you would you you would probably get a CT scan or um, an X. It's like a three dimensional X ray to be able to determine well what exactly is going on inside you. Um, and, and what we do is we, so we take that image, it's a three-dimensional image, essentially, and we extract the three-dimensional data out of that in order to generate a personalized um, template, like mm. a puzzle piece, perfect puzzle piece. And we also take um, a small sample of fat tissue. Mm-hmm. Um, even skinny people have enough. Um, we don't need very much. Um, and we take the stem cells out of that fat tissue. Um, and so we infuse that perfect puzzle piece-shaped um, template, we call it a scaffold, with these cells and mature that over three weeks. And then you have a piece of living bone that's ready for implantation. Amazing. So you actually will then, you'll take those measurements and then you, you create a scaffolding, which is really done with these 3D printers, right? Well, we use um, a lot of different types of three-dimensional um, fabrication techniques. So we certainly use, we, you know, if you came visit us in the, and visited us in the lab, you would see we have a couple 3D printers. We also have um, a couple of uh, four-axis CNC mills as well as a bone saw. We've got lots of, um, you know, machines in our shop for um, doing, uh, performing different types of digital fabrication. And um, in terms of the way our, our process works now, um, that to make that perfect puzzle piece shape, we actually do the opposite of 3D printing, which is 3D micro-milling. So um, subtractive manufacturing as opposed to additive manufacturing, to use lingo, right? Mm, yeah. We're carving it as opposed to, um, you know, building it drop oh, for drop. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, you're, you're taking it from a piece digital- down, yeah. Yeah, so we also, at the same time that we, we carve that, we also print the molds that are used to grow the bones. So they're, they're, at every different step of the process, there's um, digital, digital fabrication meeting stem cell science. Wow. And the benefit is these are your own cells, so your body is probably less likely to reject this. That's the idea. Yep. Do you want to join the team? Yeah, I would <laughs> love to. I, I just wish I needed a bone right now. I need well, some no, help. I, I'm just, I'm just going to say it's probably a good thing that you're doing fine with the skeleton you've got. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and I can only imagine, though, uh, is the bone as strong as, as normal? I mean, is it or is it stronger? Well, at this point, we just want to match what nature is providing. You know, um, one of the problems with synthetic implants is oftentimes there's a mismatch of mechanical properties. Oftentimes, you know, titanium is stronger than bone in, right. in many ways or ser- some of these ceramics. And when you have a mismatch of the mechanical properties of the implant to the native bone, um, over time, that's, that's what uh, many people believe leads to failure of the, of the implant. So we're, we'd like to match. That's not, true, not yeah. Yeah, so the parts, yeah, so it's, it's kind of almost getting back to original parts. Um, it's, it's also alive. So the graph is alive. It's, it's a living thing. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's you know, really we love, cool. I love this idea that it, the next generation of, of treatments are going to be so high-tech that they um, look natural, that they're just as natural as what our bodies are making every day. And there really, it seems like there's no end to the, where we can go with this science. I mean, everybody, this, the whole stem cell discussion years ago was, was so, you know, we were all so fearful of it and it had all of these different arguments that were going on. But you're just taking stem cells out of our fat 
and creating and then just using that to grow the bone. You'll create a skeletal process. And this is being done in your lab, I guess, and then you ship the bone out to wherever the doctors are. Yeah, you know, um, I think that as stem cell research has progressed, um, it's, it's been astonishing to discover that we have stem cells almost in every tissue of the body. I hmm. mean, it's, uh, so our stem cells are, are natural um, healers within our own bodies. And so um, because we're using these adult stem cells, uh, we sidestep um, any of this controversy that, that tends to surround embryonic right. sources of stem cells. So, um, you know, in, in, they're stem cells that heal every wound in our body by harnessing the power of those cells. There's really no um, controversy around that. And, and these cells grow bone and other tissues quite, le- quite, re- quite readily. Now, I'm assuming if you can grow bones, you can grow uh, organs, you can grow anything, can't you? Skin grafts. Right, so that's the, that's the way that the field is really moving. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that you bring up skin because um, there's been tissue-engineered skin products on the market since the late 90s. And, and part of the reason, you know, when you think about all these different types of tissues in the body, skin, in a way, is, is kind of a, a, an ideal first test bed because skin naturally regenerates in the body. It's pretty flat and you can start from a single cell type. When you think about what's on the other end of that spectrum in terms of complexity, you've got tissues like the heart or liver. You know, the heart is highly metabolically active. It interacts with other organs, and it absolutely has zero tolerance for failure, as we well know. And so tissues like that, actually, I studied the heart during my Ph.D. and postdoc. That's a very, very difficult tissue and and, and probably will be a long time before we start seeing um, real organ replacements like that. But bone is in the middle. You know, it's a complex shape, but we can solve for that using digital fabrication. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, uh, the methods for growing the bone are, are something that scientists uh, like us have worked out. So, so the bone is really kind of it's – a, it's a more complicated uh, uh, growth and growing system or process than the skin. So it's, it's an advancement, but it's not quite to the level of an organ, a complex organ. Yeah, the field is moving in that direction mm. because organs are many tissue types put together, Yeah, you know. Um, but bone is another tissue like skin that naturally regenerates in the body. And so by, you know, uh, utilizing those stem cells that are performing that regeneration, we can it, augment their power in the lab. But we're not starting from scratch the way you might be with um, with with organs that have many multiple tissue types that, that compose them. Oh. Yeah. This is incredible. And talk about uh, where um, where do we where do we go from here? I mean, when when will yours be ready for you know human trial? Well, you know, it's hard to say, and, and it's really um, it's one of those things that you can't really write down on paper. But we're aiming, um, you know, we're doing all the science, and science can't be rushed. Um, right. But we're hoping that we'll, you know, we. You know, we're about two years away, you know, something like this. You know, you can estimate. We're doing the science now, um, and we're working closely with regulators to make sure that we get all the data we need. You know, you'd ever want to rush into, um, you know, out of the lab and into um, people too, too quickly because you want to make sure that you understand the technology before doing so. So we're, yeah. we're performing all, a lot of science experiments right now to, um, to get all the data we need that will give us the confidence to move towards the clinic. So could this be, I mean, a, a surgery we hear that's pretty common would be like a hip replacement surgery. This could eventually, hip replacement could just mean you grow your own hip socket. You grow your own bone. You know, what's interesting is that many hip replacements are the result of um, damaged cartilage. 
And so we would love, you know, uh, to see the day when you don't need to replace a hip because the, you can replace the cartilage instead, right? Oh, my goodness. So some of these numbers are really difficult to map to what are what a technology like ours will really mean, you know, because in some ways we'd love to see the number of hip replacements go down, right? Right. Um, right now as a technology, we're focusing on bones in the head and face um, because shape there really matters, you know. Yeah, our, right. Everybody's face is different and everybody's facial bones are the, the template for what our faces look like. So right now we're focusing on that most, um, most specifically. Well, and there's a lot of... Um... There's a lot of facial reconstruction surgeries that need to be done. Yeah. People that have extensive drug use a lot of times lose bone and lose mass. So, I mean, it's a pretty – it's a life-changing thing. And again, to the face, you, yeah, you want it right and you want it as close to original as possible. Yeah, you have a lot of um, complex facial trauma that results from, you know, car accidents or um, in, in our many times from – troops that are, um, you know, in war-torn areas, and um, we'd love to be able to, to help the people most in need, yes. So you're innovating the science as well as creating a business, which to me is, is, seems like a really powerful combination, um, because also you're not, just, you're not just out there looking for money and being, you know, kind of corporate-minded, but you're, you're going to change. Eventually, this technology and this information will go to the entire world, helping people well, all I over the world. I love the way you pitch that because, you know, we're science nerds and we're here to help humanity. Um, but, you know, I like to say we're not afraid to make money. If right. we were in for the money, if we were in life for the money, I'm sure we would all You'd have, be doing um, something else. jobs out there that we could do. Yeah. But we really care about helping people. And, um, and, and to that end, I mean, I went to business school um, at Columbia while I was doing my postdoc research because I wanted to learn the language of business. We wanted to not make the mistakes that a lot of um, scientists make when they sort of confuse um, a science project with a science-based business, right? Right. Um, we wanted to equip ourselves with that language and with that, that, that way of thinking and then also as a side effect, a lot of our business school, my business school professors and classmates have become investors and um, people that have helped us in the business world. So it's a really beautiful story. I think it's a lot of really committed and smart people um, from a variety of backgrounds that have to come together to do a project like this. And um, the fact that we're all motivated by the same mission is um, it's really heartening for me, actually. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I love it. I, I think it's incredible, too. And, and it is contagious because... You know, the more you hear about it, you you can all of a sudden start seeing how this can change so many lives. And again, just to allay the fears for anybody out there that's thinking, this is crazy. Um, this, this is just advancement, right? This is just – we've already been doing skin grafts for, what, 20 years, 25 years? Uh, stem cell therapies have been around for a really long time, um, especially, you know, bone marrow transplants are the one most people know mm -hmm. about. Um, and that's been going on for a very long time. And um, – and so this is just a new iteration of that kind of thing. And, and you, it's interesting you bring up patients. Um, even though we're so and, – and this contagious spirit, um, one thing that I really like about our company, we're still pretty small, we're eight people, is that we all um, have access to the info at epibone.com email address where a lot of people just write to us. Uh. And every single day we have so many people, whether they're clinicians or whether they're potential patients or parents of patients, and, or sons and daughters of patients, and they write to us asking questions. They write to us offering help, and we answer every email. Oh, that's and great. And that, to me, is just um, a really beautiful exercise. Um, I love 
um, hearing the questions people have and um, hearing the the good thoughts that people are sharing with us. It's um, it helps us on our on our way every day. Mm, it really is. It's motivating. And uh, so the website they can go look at if they want to see how your progress is coming and just be and keep up to date with everything you're doing. It's epibone.com, right? E p i b o n e dot com. Yeah, and there's a web form on there, and a lot of people take advantage of it and send us notes. And uh, I would invite the audience to engage with us if they're interested in learning more. That's great stuff. Nina Tandon, we appreciate you. Keep up the great work, and uh, we're going to keep following your work until hopefully someday we don't need it. But when we do, we're glad you'll be there. We'd love to see the day when folks like us are put out of business because everyone's doing so well. That's so great, Nina. Take care. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Take care. You bet. Bye now. Take care. That is so cool. I mean, imagine that. Seriously, think of the person that just needs, you know, that has to go have um, a graft put in on, on their on their hip or whatever. And now all of a sudden, they don't need two surgeries. They don't need to go harvest it from their own body now or in years, a few years. They can go have it created in a lab. Powerful stuff, folks. Man, is it not good to be alive? Are you kidding me? Sure, I get it. The world's crazy political, you know, uprisings, war, ISIS, and the incredible blessings of living in the most advanced age in science as well. Good to be alive, folks. We'll take a break, come back, uh, continue the discussion, hopefully trying to help you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. Hey, you know, with all this stuff going on in the news, again, there's such a cool spirit uh, just to talk to our last guest about um, advancement in science. And I, you know, I feel blessed. I feel lucky. I feel grateful that I live at this day and age where my daughter can have a baby that she probably would have died in childbirth because the baby just wouldn't have come out. But instead... Bada boom, bada bing, doctors. Little cut here, little cesarean there, baby born. I got to babysit last night, which I don't know what it is. It seems like it's getting easier the older I get. It also has to do with the fact that the baby slept the entire time in its car seat. (laughs) I kind of felt bad, like I think I should be doing more. So my daughter texted me, hey, is the baby okay? Oh, yeah, the baby's fine. The baby's sleeping. Texted about half hour later. Is the baby okay? Yeah, baby's fine. Baby's sleeping. Then she asked, is the baby alive? (laughs) Ooh, I hadn't even checked. She was alive. So with all of that going on, uh, I contrast that to just what's been happening in the news um, with a lot of our dialogue, a lot of our conversations, a lot of our rhetoric that we hear thrown out and around and about everything from and just think over the last years we do a little year in review all the political polarity we've seen uh, the racial tensions that you've seen going on with the different problems in Ferguson and Baltimore and and all over and now in Chicago with the same-sex marriage laws 
with the religious freedom issues that have been going on. There's been a lot of just intolerant talk. And as a kind of a social uh, psychologist, I, I truly believe that how we talk is going to create how we live and interact with each other. So I wanted to to address um, for all of us what, what, what we could do to maybe elevate our talk. And I, I personally suggest we ought to do it as a family, as a parent with my children. Let me worry about my family, but will you worry about your family? And let's just figure out that it's it's powerful in this world to have the freedom of speech, but there's also demanding uh, – part of freedom of the speech is also the intelligence and the ability and to, to not have to speak too. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean you need to share it. And I think if more of us would learn that, we don't need to share our opinion. It doesn't always have to be thrust out there and upon everybody. So I, I've basically put together five steps to improve your family's tolerance and to improve their talk as they share their beliefs and ideas with others. First rule, broaden your pool of understanding. Okay? Um, basically, I'm saying most people I truly believe in this country might know one or two Muslims, for example. But how well do you know them? Do they come to dinner at your house? Have you ever been to dinner with them? Have you ever been to uh, worship with them? Have you ever talked to an imam? There's a lot of fear about uh, Muslims right now, and yet most people, I'm going to bet, don't really truly know very many Muslims. You may work with a couple, but do you really know them? And I think our families, our kids, our children, our friends, our neighbors, we all need to get to know and broaden our pools. A lot of us just end up staying very close-knit, very tight uh, in our little cliques or our little groups, and um, we, don't, we don't broaden out. I mean, we, that could be true of any minority. That could be true of any religion. Everybody could have an opinion of Mormons, and how many of you even know any? personally. So instead of just judging a religious group, get to know them, understand them, find out where they're coming from. And I say broaden your pool of understanding because there's so much more power in our country when we don't have fear of every other minority or every other group, but instead we have, um, we have understanding of it. I believe one of the reasons why after so many years of uh, same-sex marriage, the polls were all up where more and more people were accepting same-sex marriage than ever before. More and more people were accepting the idea of it before the courts ever made a decision on it. But why is that after so many dozen of year, dozens of years of people fighting for it? It's because more and more people knew same-sex or homosexual people. And the more you know and the more you understand, the more you can uh, empathize, understand, and care. And even I could even care and empathize and still not believe or agree with it. 
And that might be where you see the disparity between some religious groups and these difficult issues that are more social issues. But it needs to go both ways, right? Uh, the same way, the same argument needs to be we need to understand people that are religiously conservative and understand them and not demonize them because they have a position or a view about something that they feel is, is inappropriate. I don't need to go be extreme about it, but I can understand what you're feeling and you can understand what my needs are. So broaden the pool of understanding. And I think we could do that with our kids. Uh, we could do that by just opening up our doors more, by taking our children to, uh, you know, to a temple, to a mosque, to a synagogue, to a cathedral, to a chapel, and broadening their horizons and, and not being so afraid of understanding, the more we understand, the more information it gives us. It doesn't have to always, you know, make us lose everything we feel we've got. Another tool or another belief is avoid being overly simplistic, sensational, or sensitive. Any team, anytime I see sim- simplicity, sensationalism, or sensitivity, uh, I worry about it. We don't need to be overly simplistic. We live in a highly complicated world, so saying that Muslims are good or bad, that's not – that's too simplistic. The vast, vast, vast majority of humans are good. There are people that are bad and they appear in every congregation, in every sect, in every world religion. They're everywhere. Interestingly, a certain percentage of those that are really – you know, not deemed as as healthy or good, they also have a certain percentage of them also have mental health issues along with that. They're not just evil. A lot of them are not mentally right, which is different than evil. They may do evil acts, both of them, the mentally unstable and just the evil. So don't make anything just simplistic. It's not just black or white. So notice in our media and notice what our politicians do is they throw out very simplistic solutions that aren't dealing with the real complexities. They use sensationalism. Uh, One of our guests a few days ago had a really good point that simply said it's the anger and the negative uh, bites and information that are the most viral. So the ones that spread the most are going to be the most negative. And if you're too sensitive – and easily offended, that too is something we've got to watch out for. Because if somebody's highly sensational, I mean, that's what's interesting about Trump. He really is genius at at his art of circus acts, right? Um, he's really good at what he does, and he's offensive. And I don't have to be offended, even if you, even if he intended to. Right? Makes sense? I don't have to just be overly offended by everything either. Another rule that I've uh, trying to give to help us with you know, being a little more tolerant in our talk is to avoid the online pile-on. Everybody, you get online, you see, a, you see something on Facebook, and you got to comment because it just makes you so mad. But honestly, the research shows that you're more likely to say <laughs> – negative, horrible things online than you ever would say face-to-face. And remember that people are looking at you. They look at your name attached to information. And I get if you're hurting and if somebody's offended you, I get that you immediately want to take it to Facebook. But in the end, 
um, you got to know, too, that it might make more sense that you, instead of taking stuff to Facebook, make sure you're just influencing the people around you. Well, that's what I'm doing on Facebook. I get it. That's true. And you also might want to have the conversations face-to-face with people that disagree. I really believe in the end that's how you're going to influence someone, right? I don't think you're going to positively or negatively influence somebody uh, too dramatically online because most people aren't even going to remember you in one minute. So instead, let's be working with our families, the people close to us. Uh, The next principle is to let your values and your principles govern how you talk. So many of the people that are so upset about, you know, what someone may say about same-sex marriage or what someone may say about religious freedom, everybody seems to say they all believe in equality and they all believe in the right to speak until somebody says something you don't like. Then we all turn into mean, angry, hate-filled people. So if you believe in the freedom of speech, then believe in it and let people speak. And if you believe that people should be treated with love, then be loving. Remember that every one of us has a more complicated value system than just one thing. You can't identify your value system is not just whether how someone is married. Your value system is more complete than just one value. Our value system is is incorporating all of our values, all of our principles, our religious beliefs, my belief in loving another person, in serving another person, in caring for another person, my belief in charity, my belief in hard work. All of those are values that also can go together with a value of whatever, a value of me not believing or wanting to or thinking that certain people should get married. But that doesn't mean I can't be loving to those people and loving in my language about those people. It doesn't mean I need to be offensive. That's still not my value system. And then last but not least is we need to build the bridges that we can build. I'm a big believer that every one of us have uh, lived this crazy experience in life and your experience is different than mine. I grew up with divorced parents. So I've tried to make my life about helping that part of the world Those people that are divorcing get through it in a healthier way or a stronger way or not even have to go through the divorce. But I did that because that was my strength because of how I was raised. But if somebody was raised being a Christian and a homosexual and they have insight into both of those worlds, I personally believe those people are the ones that are most important that they don't become polarized. But instead, you help bridge the gap between the Christians and the homosexuals. I think a Muslim who is an American, which we're seeing with Muhammad Ali and, um, and others, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I think those are the ones that have to bridge the gap because they're the ones that have lived in both of the worlds. And they're the ones that have the unique ability and the power and the moral authority to say what needs to be said. Make sense? So we all have a responsibility to go build the bridge where I can build it. And there's what we need are African-American police officers that can help go build the bridge. Do you remember that police officer that took over the Ferguson situation? It was brilliant how he handled that. There's, there's bridge builders, but they have to come from within those people that understand both sides of the issue and can understand it and care about it. So if you have a bridge to build, please go build the bridge. This country needs it. This world needs it. We need to have more tolerance, folks.
That's the coach's corner. We got to go. We got to take a break. We'll be back next hour. More ideas, more tools, folks, to help you find the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Hour number three of the show. Mm-mm, Got a great guest coming up. This, uh, the gift of a good enough mother. So many mothers, and I think fathers, parents in general, we all want to be the best parent you can be. But you know what? It might actually be better for your kid if you're just a good enough parent, which really is all you can be anyway. You can't be perfect. And the interesting thing about having a a human parent is you learn the difficulty of life. Life is a hard thing. If you had a perfect parent, you would set your kid up for major failure the rest of your life. Because he'd be well-tuned, well-skilled, well-empowered, I guess. Except he'd then have to deal with a bunch of people that let him down all the time. Right, because no one's going to be perfect. And he probably wouldn't know how to do that. You need to be imperfect to help people deal with imperfection. That's why I have tried to master the art of imperfection. My children. I'm good at it. My children have no weird expectations about having people perfect around them. Yeah, my wife is uh, always worried that we're doing something wrong yeah. when it comes to my kid. And I go, we're fine. He's tough. Look at him. He's made it this well, far. Well, I do agree with your wife. I mean, I hey. agree with your wife on that issue. And I, I wouldn't even say we, I, you, I would say you. That I'm the problem? I would just – if I were your wife, I would worry about you. It's OK. Because you're a tough guy. I, di- I discipline by wrestling. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. You've told me some of your parenting techniques. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, different. Yeah. They're, let's just say they're not mainstream. No. They're not mainstream. They're, they're not dangerous. They are debilitating. Right. And my, my kid's very careful. He's scared of falling and that kind of thing, so he doesn't do anything rash. It makes you wonder why he's so scared of yeah. all this stuff. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I know. When my brother was in elementary school, yeah, he told his his teacher that he enjoyed roughhousing with my dad. And so my parents got a call from the like the state child <laughs> service department. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's so sad. You can't even roughhouse with your kids. That the DCFS or whatever. What are they called? Yeah, calling in. Like I can't, I can't lay on the couch without my kid trying to jump on me. Oh, that's cool. It's just what he does. Yeah, I'll, I'll wake up. You know, you're in that half in, half out yeah. sort of, and, and you just see a little kid standing on top of the couch, like jumping with elbows and just doing a little little pile drive sumo wrestling. Yeah, it's fine. Wait, till, you know what? Just a little advice from a guy that's been down the road a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time they're 18, that hurts. You got to stop that. <laughs> You got you to gotta tell your son, we're not doing that anymore. We can't roughhouse anymore. Yeah. Can hey. you drive your mom to the store, please? <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Hey, uh, did you hear about this new dating website? 
This is such cool news. Like farmers only? Yeah. So you've, you've heard of farmers only. Yeah. Oh. Well, there's a new one. This is nice. Uh, this isn't farmers only. This is um, a dating website that helps Disney devotees find that one special person. Oh. Really? Uh, women who are interested in Disney, can they can go to this website and all of a the sudden... They are in a world of other Disney lovers. Ah, okay. Dave Tavris of Culver City City founded MouseMingle.com. MouseMingle. MouseMingle, which went live Wednesday to help fans of Disney's magical romances find the same magic in their relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Niche dating sites have been going on for years, you know, Farmers Only, for example. But uh, for only about $12.55 a month, you can go... By the way, the 55 comes from Disney. It yeah. was founded in 1955. Of course. it's always a reason. So now all the people that just can't get enough Disney. Do you describe yourself as what kind of, di- what, which Disney character are you most closely related to? Like? Dope, dopey. Are you dopey? Are you goofy? Yeah. Dopey. Yeah. Because I think dopey is, actually knows what he's doing. He just acts stupid. And everyone thinks he's cute. Right. And then, uh, and then Snow White's always hugging on him. Then everyone underestimates him, and he can surprise him. Smart. Yeah. Smart It's kid. a good ploy. So um, Disney Mingle, is that what it's Disney called? Disney Mi- No, it's called... Uh, oh, Mickey Mingle. Mick, uh, Mouse no, Mingle. No, Mouse Mingle, because you can't use any yeah, of the Yeah, you can't use any of the others, or you'll be deported. Huh. Um, I'm not the guy... That, the Tavris says, I'm not the guy who hits on women at the park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He says, I'm single, and I you know, I just want to find somebody that is as interested in Disney maybe, as I am. Maybe that's his problem. He's trying to pick up women at the park. Uh-huh. And this song, yeah, I think, really represents the whole experience <laughs> that you'll have, which is, it just keeps going. Yeah, it never really stops. It's cute. Uh, is, that, <sighs> is that too specific of a dating site? Maybe. Maybe Maybe be a little bit more broad to get a better cross-section. It seems like just for the survival of the humanity, maybe we ought not inbreed so specifically. Because this is going to create a super Disney fan. Really? That will really be messed up. Wow. Well, I I don't know if you've been around Provo, but everybody is a super Disney fan. I know. So, I mean, it's going to be successful here. Let's just listen to this song for a minute. Mm. It's a beautiful. I mean, it's a great song. Can't you just imagine being on the ride with that significant other, that other one? No. And you're like, so tell me about your family. <laughs> Do you like long walks on the beach? <laughs> what are your interests? Uh, anyway. Wow. Okay, turn that yeah, off. Please. Turn that please, off. Please. Just, just turn let that off. go. Turn away. it off. Turn it. Turn it. Just get blow. it. Get it. Get, get it, get it, get it off. It just keeps going. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, mousemingle.com. There you go. If if that's your thing. Yeah. I wonder if you get like discount tickets. Probably not. It you probably can have your honeymoon has, at probably Disneyland? Probably has nothing to do with, with Disneyland. Well, it, not yet. Yet, but until they buy it. Well, when it hits big time, <laughs> now that we've just announced it, it's going to go crazy. Anyway, let's get to the headlines. Find out what's going on the rest of, around the rest of the world. Terry, what's up? Thanks, Matt. 35% of Republican primary voters support Trump, up 13 points since October. His highest level of support in CBS News polling. The, uh, Ted Cruz, 16%, has moved into second place. Ben Carson, who led the October poll, has now dropped to third. Marco Rubio's in fourth place with 9%. And uh, Jeb Bush, who apparently has 
a lot of money, but not a lot of support, getting in the back just 3% of Republican primary voters oh, wow. nationwide. His lowest percentage to date. Carly Fiorina has also dropped. She's at 1%, so it just keeps uh, sliding for the other uh, the other candidates there. Uh, a Bloomberg politics pullout Wednesday reveals that Donald Trump's controversial plan to ban all Muslims from entering the U.S. might not lose him as many votes in the GOP presidential primary as you might, may think. Just under two-thirds, 65% of likely Republican voters or primary voters say that they favor the GOP frontrunner's proposal. May, and it says that they may it makes them more likely to vote for him that he said that. Mm. Uh, Bloomberg reports among the general voting uh, population, Trump's plan doesn't go over quite so well. 37% like it, 50% oppose it. So as he, you get out of the Republican uh, primary voters, it becomes uh, less of a popular uh, right. proposal there. Um, and he's taken a lot of flack. Uh, one of the ones I saw with more than 100,000 British citizens signed a petition calling for Donald Trump to be barred entry from the UK. <laughs> Parliament is debating on whether they should have a discussion on his you know, ability to enter you know, the country. Don't waste your time, yeah, Parliament. Yeah, no, it's kind of funny. Volkswagen said on Thursday today that its emissions cheating scandal began that began in 2005 with a decision to heavily promote diesel engines in the United States and a realization that those engines could not meet clean air standards. What followed was a textbook example of what happens when ambition combines with weak internal controls and ethical standards, the company acknowledged as it presented a preliminary report on its investigation into the origins of the scandal. Some employees are the company found chose to cheat on emission tests rather than to curtail Volkswagen's American uh, campaign. So instead of make the cars fit the standards, they decided to cheat. Hmm. There was a tolerance for breaking the rules, the chairman of Volkswagen's supervisory board said. That's the hardest thing we've had to accept. Ugh. There was a culture that just go ahead, it's fine. Just cheat. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Hmm. Uh, the man accused of killing three people at a Planned Parenthood clinic in Colorado called himself a warrior for the babies during a Wednesday court hearing. According to uh, CBS, who a reporter who was present at the hearing, Robert Deere shouted, I am guilty. There will be no trial. I am a warrior for the babies while standing before the judge. Prosecutors announced 179 charge, 79 charges against Robert Deere, including eight charges of first-degree murder. Wow. So that's a disturbing case. Yeah. And, you know, he's making his own case, isn't he? <laughs> it's going to be – they're still going forward because there. there's the option of uh, uh, the insanity defense – and he's showing enough evidence that they're probably going to look into that. Yeah. Um, in other news, the Golden State Warriors are now 23-0 and 0 this season, the best regular season start of any NBA team ever. Mm. And the reigning league MVP, Stephen Curry, seems he seems like an unstoppable force of nature. One reason is, as he points out, an automatic toilet that his wife purchased him. That'll do it. As a present. He said, oh, man, that toilet just makes my, my me happy in life, he tells ESPN wow. the magazine. And when you're happy, you play better. I bet if I did a case study on my performance since I got that toilet, <laughs> you'd see the difference. I was in Minnesota when, his wife told, when my wife told me about it, and the next day I had 46 points. Wow. That is an amazing toilet. And it's automated. Well, hold it. Not fully automated. I'm not sure what that means. And he doesn't go into detail on what automated toilet means. But just – so 
Mr. Curry, do you have to work out longer than everyone else to be as good as you are? Nope. Nope. Just a toilet. Just got a toilet. The other reason, he says, uh, he was uh, the Curry and the other Golden State Warrior players have become regulars at San Francisco's Reboot Float Spa. Yeah, I saw that. Where they regularly spend an hour in a sensory deprivation pod floating in skin temperature water saturated with 1,000 pounds of Epsom salt. It's the weirdest thing. It's just, and you're like a, in an egg. And you just float in the salt, and they shut the lid, and you can fall asleep. We've been trying to get someone uh, in, in contact with a, a researcher that's studying this floating yeah. for some sort of uh, treatment, mental mm-hmm. uh, uh, anxiety, help, yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. And uh, we're trying to get him on because it's becoming a, uh, a trend across the country where mm. people are seeking to treat themselves without any anxiety medicine by floating just float in a deprivation away. tank. You know what? I just get a toilet. Apparently that works too. It's all you need is a really good automated toilet. Uh, interesting, interesting stuff. I have a feeling Steph's just not letting in on a secret. He's just really good. Hey, we're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Carla Nomberg will be joining us. Uh, she's going to be talking about an article she wrote um, on the topic of the gift of the good enough mother. Uh, there's a lot of times that you just are constantly feeling like you're not good enough. You're not cutting it. But her, her argument is basically all our children need are good enough. Now, don't go crazy. Come listen to us and we'll tell you why uh, your child will actually thrive with you just being good enough. You don't need to be perfect. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, at, at Christmas, a lot of times you get caught up in finding that perfect gift. Uh, we also do it with our own kids, aren't we? We're constantly trying to be the best we can be, the best parent ever. Some are even striving for the, uh, the unattainable of being the perfect parent. But maybe the best gift that you could give your kids is simply to be and understand the power of being good enough. Clinical social worker, writer, and mother, Dr. Carla Nomberg, says children need their caretakers to fail them in tolerable ways on a regular basis so that they can learn to live in an imperfect world. Carla joins us now today to talk uh, about uh, this idea of the good enough parent. She joins us from Boston. Dr. Carla Nomberg, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you online and and to talk about this. I mean, there is a ton of pressure, and I think some of it's just societal, but I, there's something, too, I think, about moms where they really want to be the best they can be as a parent. And you're, you might, you're telling us that maybe, maybe we don't need to spend so much time worrying about the perfection of it, the best of it. Yeah, and I'm coming at this not only as a clinical social worker, but as a mother of two young daughters myself. And so I totally understand that desire to be a perfect parent and to meet all of my kids' needs and to never have them feel sad or upset. Um, And the problem with that, I think, is not only is it not possible, but it misses a big part of the parenting that our children need, which is they need to experience what it feels like to not get what they want, Mm. to feel sad, to feel let down, 
and to know that they're going to be okay on the other end. Because if you can imagine having a child who had every one of their needs met their entire lives and always got what they wanted when they were in their home or with their family, and then they go out into the real world, um, whether that's school or college or job, where their parents aren't there to fix everything for them, well, that's not how reality works. We often don't get what we want. Um, we often feel frustrated or angry or sad or bored, and we need to learn that life's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to be okay. And by giving that to our kids in what I call tolerable ways, you know, I'm not talking about abuse and neglect here. I'm right. talking about setting appropriate boundaries and realizing that it's not only okay if we don't meet their needs, it's actually good for them. And yet that's – I can just imagine how people are, oh, come on. We we should always strive to be our best. Sure, sure, okay. And yet the the reality is is it's not about – giving them everything they need, never letting them cry, never having a skinned knee, always protecting them from everything. At some point, I love the word, the tolerable. You have to have a certain level, I guess, of tolerable mistakes, tolerable pain, tolerable struggles, not perfection. That's right. And, you know, what tolerable looks like is going to be different for every child. You know, any parent can tell you that their kids are born with innate strengths and innate weaknesses, and that's human nature. And so for some kids, failures in certain areas are going to be quite tolerable, and for other kids, they're not. And so part of our job as parents is to tune into our children and to do the best we can to make the right choices about when we're going to say yes and when we're going to say no and when we're going to set a limit, when we're going to give in, and then watch and see what happens. Because at the end of the day, this parenting thing is a big experiment. And, you know, we don't know exactly what we're doing, but we can trust that children are resilient and that what they need more than anything is to have their parents and their loved ones be present for them and be okay when they feel sad or frustrated or bored. And when we can say, you know what? I really know you wanted that toy or I know you wanted to see your friend or I know that you really wanted to be on the football team or whatever it may be, but it's not right for you and it's not right for our family. When we can let them be sad about it or frustrated or angry and we still hold that boundary, that limit with them, we're saying, look, I know you're frustrated right now, but I know you're going to be okay and I'll be here with you until you feel better. Yeah. not only does that help them feel safe and comforting in difficult time, but it teaches them that they really start to integrate over time, that they will be okay even when life gets hard, which is an incredibly valuable skill to have. Oh, yeah. And it, it seems like um, in our efforts to make their life to be the perfect parent with giving our children all of the opportunities possible on on earth – that actually may end up then creating even more stress, more chaos, more confusion. So, so maybe the the actual attempt to go be the out of this world parent is going to inevitably harm the child anyway emotionally. Absolutely, and it's it's going to harm the parents as well because you know that's not sustainable for any of us, right? Um, and if we're you know, going above and beyond to try to meet our kids' every needs and give them everything, every music lesson, every sports lesson, the best school, the best homework, the best whatever, um, at some point we're going to burn ourselves out. Uh, it's just not sustainable. And so sometimes, you know, being good enough is an intentional thing where we're saying, I'm not going to give you this because I know that you need to learn to deal with hardships in life. And sometimes it's, I'm not going to give you this because i got nothing to give. Yeah. And that's that's reasonable. And children can also learn that, 
their parents are human beings too, that we have our own strengths and our own limitations and that their behavior impacts us and that sometimes we just don't have anything left. And when that happens, though, we need to figure out ways to take care of ourselves such that our children still feel safe. So if we let ourselves get so depleted, which certainly happens to all of us, that we really just can't even be around anymore, that's a time when we need to say to a parenting partner or someone else in the family, hey, I need you to take over so I can go for a walk or catch a few deep breaths or even get away for a weekend or however long. So mm. modeling for our kids that sometimes being good enough means we absolutely have to put our own needs first um, because we can't take care of our kids if we aren't taking care of ourselves first. And, and you keep bringing up like the word present. Uh, you wrote the book Parenting in the Present Moment, How to Focus on What Really Matters. Um, and I sit there and I, I think, wow, that is like it's it's such a big it's such a big deal to be present. Um, and, and we always think it's our schedule that causes it or. Um, you know, our workload or just our, all these other things we're, we're doing. But in, a lot of times being present is you're actually in the room. You're in the space with your child. They're, they're suffering from something, explaining a pain about something, and we're still not present. Explain what you mean or explain what we can do to be more present in those moments. Absolutely. And just to be clear, being present with our children in their hardest moments is one of the most difficult things we parents will ever do in our lives. Hmm. Um, because we want our children to be happy and calm, and we want to feel like we're doing a good job as parents, and we can get confused and think that if our children are suffering with big feelings or difficult emotions, then we haven't done our job as parents. Um, the other thing to be clear about is that being present with our kids doesn't mean we are perfectly present all the time. It means we're paying enough attention to them to figure out when do they need us and when can we back off. Hmm. Uh, But being present with a child when they're in a difficult moment, whether it's a baby who's screaming or a teenager who's really angry at us, um, means just sort of not only being physically present, but making a point to stay present with their experience. So just sitting with them, listening to them, holding them, and most importantly, noticing when our mind wanders to something else, whether it's oh, gosh, I really wish this child would stop screaming because I'm exhausted and I don't want to hear it anymore, (laughs) or, oh, man, did I screw up? Is this my fault? Should I have done something better? Or sometimes it can trigger us to remember our own childhoods and difficult times we've had, or I have to go to work. I have to go to work, and this kid is having a meltdown, and they need to stop because I'm going to be late to work. You know, all of those thoughts and many, many more come into all of our minds when we're trying to be present with our kids. And the trick is, can we notice those thoughts let them go and come back to what's happening. And for me, the biggest thing that helps me in those difficult moments is focusing on my breath. So I'll just notice my breathing. Um, If it's really going fast, I'll try to slow it down. But if it's normal, I'll just notice myself breathing. And that helps me stay calm for my kids. Mm. And what I find is that often in those moments, I don't have any great answers for them. Like I can't solve the first grade little girl playground dynamics. You know, I never figured it out myself. Yeah, right. I can't tell her what to do, but when I'm calm with her and I listen to her and I tell her that I understand, um, she calms down a lot faster and she feels better and we feel more connected. Right. So is that, is that helpful? That's huge. And that's, and that's just being, I mean, that's, it's being there, but I mean, many times you could be on Facebook or whatever, listening and not paying attention and not even noticing the signs of how traumatic this is. You're really just teaching your child how to heal in a stressful situation. That's all you're modeling, really, when you're being present. 
absolutely. And the the crazy thing about hard feelings is that the more we just sit with them and like let ourselves feel, the the faster they are to sort of dissipate and go away, and the less power they powerful they can feel. But that's a really hard thing to to acknowledge and to actually do because when you start to creep up on those hard feelings, it's like, oh, that's yucky. I don't want to yeah. touch that. But when we can actually let ourselves do it, it's usually not as bad as we think it'll it's be for so ourselves true. or for our children. That's right. Yeah, and then we get into all these other probably more damaging techniques, mechanisms to avoid, to numb ourselves, to whatever. We're speaking with Dr. Carla Nomberg um, from and a great website. Go to CarlaNomberg.com. Um, and you can get more of her articles, her books, tons of great information. She's got a wonderful uh, blog there as well. We'll take a break, come back, and give you uh, even more tools, more ideas about this idea of being good enough. Folks, it's actually good for your kids to be human, to make mistakes, to because that in and of itself helps them learn to deal with uh, some of the difficulties in life, makes them more resilient. We'll take a break, continue the discussion after – The break, we'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking uh, about this idea of the good enough parent. And really, you know, there's a limit. There's a limit to what you can do. There's a limit to when you're now uh, actually just making it worse. Um, But those limits are always a little harder to find than sometimes we think. On the phone with us is Dr. Carla Nomberg uh, from the website CarlaNomberg.com. She is uh, helping us today to try to understand how to reach our children and um, she's got a lot of great books. One of her most recent books is Ready, Set, Breathe, Practicing Mindfulness with Your Children for Fewer Meltdowns and More Peaceful Family. Um, but anyway, as we get into this and as we talk about what's going on with our children, a lot of it is just it's, it's kind of our expectation. So, Dr. Carla Nomberg, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It really is. It's in our heads as a parent. I mean, it's almost sometimes like we're trying to prove we're we're better. We have good intentions. We love our kids. We don't want to have problems with them later on. But how do we ever know if good enough is good enough? What are the signs that would say, okay, this is happening. Relax. It's good enough. That's a great question. And I think one of the ways that our current parenting cohort, this generation of parents, can get confused is that we assume that if we just follow the right research and do the right things, our kids will turn out okay. Right. And that if we make mistakes, our kids will struggle in life. And that there's somehow this direct correlation between what we as parents do now and how our kids will turn out. And that's that's an awful lot of pressure on us parents, and it's also not true. You know, we certainly set an important foundation for our children, but there's a lot of things that happen over the course of a lifetime that impact how someone um, grows up and develops and who they become. And so I think part of it is giving ourselves permission as parents to let go of that pressure. We don't control everything. We cannot determine the course of our children's lives, but we can just do the best we can with them. Um, And then I think one of the ways we can figure out is if we're getting off track is by checking in with ourselves and checking in with our kids. 
I mean, do you as a parent feel carried and exhausted and overwhelmed and stressed out <laughs> and anxious every single day for most of the day? Yeah. Then probably you're trying to do too much. Yeah. And certainly we all have those feelings at periods of time. I mean, I'm not saying parenting should be fun and calm and relaxing all the time, not by any stretch of the imagination. But we don't have to feel crazy all the time either. And we can also check on check in with our kids' behaviors. You know, how are they doing on a regular basis? Are they able to get enough sleep? Are they eating? Are they throwing a lot of tantrums? Are they having a lot of meltdowns? Um, are they struggling in school? You know, those are all good signs. I mean, just this fall, I had my first grader and kindergartner signed up for dance class, uh, guitar, and swimming lessons. And when I say it, that sounds ridiculous. <laughs> it's so much for little kids. But yeah. in the moment, I was thinking, oh, they have to learn to swim, and they have to be able to play a musical instrument. And then I watched them over the course of the fall, and I saw that they were having meltdowns every day after school. And often, most of the day Saturday, they were so tired, they just cried a lot. Isn't that okay. funny? They're telling you. The crying yes. is telling you enough, enough. That's right. It's too much. And yeah. so they are, we're out of guitar. We're out of swimming. We'll get back to that another time. They're doing dance on Sunday mornings, and that's it. We come home from school, and I say, go play. Oh, isn't so that healthy? And so really, th- there is kind of an in. It seems like it's, it's an innate uh, – early warning detector that it's enough when if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling exhausted, if you're seeing those same results in your children, recognize the signs. They're, those are the signs. Yes. Pay attention Absolutely. to them. Don't ignore them. And, that doesn't mean throttle through it. That doesn't mean hit it and push harder. It means it's telling you something. Absolutely. But, you know, yes, you nailed it. And in this culture, it's so hard because we look at our friends' kids yeah. and we think, oh, that child can do this and that child can do that and that one can play piano and that one's already on the swim team or whatever it may be. And we have to realize, A, that every kid is different and every family is different. We can all manage different things. B, we don't know what's going on behind those Facebook pictures. We right. don't know about the meltdowns they're having at home. And C, we have to trust that our kids will get there. And they'll yeah. get what they need if we can stay present with them and teach them some of these basic sort of life skills. And my kids won't be in kindergarten, first grade forever. Eventually they'll get older, they'll have some more stamina, and we'll find some more activities to do. But if they're so exhausted and stressed out all the time because I'm anxious and pushing them to do these things, they're not going to be able to learn the guitar. Yeah. They're going to go through the motions, but their little brains can't take any more information. They're too wiped out. If um, we got a couple minutes left, what would you say when you, when you think about it, Carla, if there was one thing that every you know, kind of strong parent that wants to be the best they can, that's doing the best for their kid, what would you say is the one thing that would make the biggest difference in at least just being able to to know you're doing a great job? Know you're doing a great That's a great question. And I think that trusting, really trusting yourself and your family to give you the information you need. Hmm. So often we don't do that, and we go to parenting experts, you know, right. who may be experts on the theory of parenting, but they're not experts on our family. Yeah. And we go to external sources, and we look for other people to validate our experience. And what I would say to those parents is, you don't need that. You know, don't buy my book. Turn to your family instead. I mean, if you're looking for information, that's fine. But if you look, go buy the book. But if you're looking for a deeper sense of, you know, are we doing okay? What does my family need? That, that, that wisdom. 
spend, slow down, spend some time with yourself, figure out how you're doing, and spend some time with your kids and really tune in to how they're doing. That's mm. what I would say is going to be the so best good. information and, and, and you're on the right track. And, and, trust, and trust the information, too, in yourself, deeper in yourself, that, that these kids are healthy and that you are That's doing right. great and you don't need to keep validating it through some other accomplishment. Yeah, and that children are incredibly resilient. And the other thing to keep in mind is that perfect is not, that's not in their wheelhouse until we put it there. That's not a word or a concept that most of them get hung up on until we or some other person inserts it into their life. Hmm. And so can we let go of perfection and also give our children that same gift that if we don't feel like we have to be perfect, they're not going to feel that way either. Oh, that's such great advice. Carla Nomberg, we appreciate you. And again, go to the website, com. Wonderful articles, information, all the information on her books as well. She really is uh, a great guide on the side. And we appreciate her for being on the show with us. We're going to take a break, friends, and come back, visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Man, a lot of BYU football news uh, we're going to have to get into. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, here is some unknown music being played by an unknown group, at least to me, and I'm going to shoot it down to my good buddies uh, Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan because I know they will know who sings this song. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. How are you? Good. It's always fun when um, when you talk to us because sometimes we hear literally three different audio feeds. Oh, do you really? Can so, you hear me now? Can yeah, you hear... So- can you hear we're hearing Modest Mouse? Oh, okay, okay. Hold on. Right. This is we're Modest Mouse. Modest believe, Mouse. Right? And then we hear you. That's the same feed. But there's another feed from somewhere. I don't know where it is. And it's like a commercial and a guy talking and you're talking. And it's fun. Man, so you guys, you are talented. Because you have to somehow cut through all of this noise. No, I just get annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, I can't hear is that what's- Matthew. <laughs> You know what? I, I let me do this. I'm going to turn. We'll turn off the music. Let's see if you if that helps. And then oh, no. I'm whenever whenever you start oh, talking, well, yeah, that, you start whenever talking, you start like, talking, yeah. it just becomes only you. It's like oh. an angelic voice from the heavens. Oh, does you know? it? You know, my wife says the exact same thing. That's weird. I know about her Literally, father. Up until the half second before you start talking is, <laughs> and then it's like, "Hello, gentlemen." We're like, "Oh, hey, what's up?" Oh my heavens, you guys! You know, this is my favorite time of day right here. Because you're almost done with your show. No, 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 no. <laughs> because I get to just talk to my boys. Yeah, the bros. The Back bros. together again. Hey, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you haven't heard this yet. I'm going to break the news to you. Dr. Robert Anai. Yeah. He's going bye-bye. Wait, what? Did you not hear this? Yeah, you, it's got to oh, be on we, your show. We yeah. have digested it all. Now for about 14 hours. What do you think? That is Bronco... Bronco, he he didn't just drive away in like a Maserati. He drove away in the school bus, and he's loaded half the team coaches on it. In the Mercedes school bus. When there's a new – see, right. this doesn't happen to BYU fans very often. It's been, what, three and 44 years. 
Right. So we're not used to this. This is completely normal. The head coach leaves, like the whole staff could be gone. It doesn't mean that anyone's going to stay, right? Mm-hmm, right. It's just shocking when it happens, I guess, right? So it- four, four of the five offensive coaches, see ya! And then oh. there will be a couple of defensive coaches, you would, you would think, since Bronco's a defensive coach. Is, uh, are, are, there, with as well. are there, just as a novice here, are there weird feelings if you're the one that wasn't invited on the bus? I'm sure there would be. I mean, that seems hard. I, I would feel weirded out. Yeah. Hey, 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 guys. Hey, 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 What, hey. what about me? Guy Holiday's like, yeah. Bob! <laughs> Bob! Listen, I want Guy Running. Holiday to stay at BYU. Yeah. I want him yeah, to that's stay Yeah, that's a win. That's a win for BYU. the new head coach is and what he wants. He could bring in all his own peeps, right? Maybe he may he's, not even know Guy Holiday. Maybe Guy Holiday's the next head coach. No. Okay. <laughs> I was just checking. I love Guy Holiday, but, but he won't be. He won't be the head coach. So, um, and then I guess is this I, I, is this a good thing? So, if if you're Virginia, are you looking at this like sweet? We got Bronco. We I got Anai. We've got this offense that uh, we've already we've got we've got this team. They've got a proven track record. Yeah, Broncos taking over for a program that's been to like one bowl game in the last the last hundred and eighty nine eight years. years. <laughs> And he comes from a program that's been to a bowl game 11 straight years. Wow. So six yeah. and six next year for Virginia will be considered a great success. Mm. This is cool for them. And listen to this about Robert and I. I, I think BYU fans will appreciate him more when he's gone. Uh, but in his nine seasons as offensive coordinator at BYU, the Cougars have averaged a total offense national ranking of 26 wow. out of 128. So top 25%. Right? Yeah. Of college football. That he's been really good and pretty consistent and people uh maybe don't relate with his personality and that's why he wasn't going to be the uh head coach of BYU at a minimum, in my opinion. But his skills as an offensive coordinator are proven. Absolutely. Does he have annoying play calls at times? Yes, but <laughs> guess what? He knows what he's doing. He's yeah. a paid professional. He's a highly uh, trained paid random professional. fan could not do it better, I promise. Even if they say they could. <laughs> over so, your shoulder yeah. at the game. Trust me, some some play calls drive me insane. But yeah. then there are others like the play before the Hail Mary was a draw that could have cost BYU the game, but it was a brilliant play call because it worked. Isn't he has that, the guts yeah. to run that play. Yeah. Is, <sighs> so, so, yeah so, we're going to miss Robert and I. Very good offense. So, so tell me this. Um, anything going on here at BYU? Like, we're losing a bunch of coaches. Uh, have we heard any news about, you know, maybe a new coach coming? I think the coaching candidate is going to come from one of three now. And yeah. The pool has been narrowed. The it's, three Ks, Kalani Sitaki, Ken Niamatololo, or Kyle Whittingham. I tend to feel that Ken Niamatololo is the front runner at this point. Yes. Really? The Navy yes. head coach. Now, yep. he is pl- coaching Navy against Army this Saturday. Uh, and if BYU, I th- I personally think that BYU is going to announce a head coach on Monday or Tuesday, and and that means we'd start running the triple option, passing I, game now that, too. Now that's I the don't thing. know. That's the thing. Yeah, ain't yeah. no way BYU is running the triple option. It's not going to happen, <laughs> in my opinion. I think it comes down to that, Matt. Quite honestly, I think it's Ken Niamatololo's job if he can hire somebody to run an offense more similar to what BYU has been running because the staff and the person the personnel rather yeah. on the field have been recruited to do that not run the triple option and well, you don't run the triple option of your own volition unless you name Georgia Tech they're the only team that right. does it that's not a military um, based uh, pool of players which obviously they have different constraints 
given what they do, right? BYU's not going to run the triple option, in my opinion. I no. don't think Tom Homel says, oh, okay, cool, man. <laughs> we got to get that offense here. Yeah. But no, it's interesting because he would have been a great coach, too, if uh, Robert and I had stayed with his team and his staff. I mean, uh, that just seemed like a no-brainer. Just insert. I don't think Robert wanted to stay because I think Robert considered was... himself a legitimate head coaching candidate yeah. and yes. felt frustrated that he wasn't considered more so uh, by those that are in charge. And this, of course, is based on a report from Dick Harmon of the Deseret News. It's not yeah. you know, published by BYU or Virginia, and neither will. Uh, confirm that fact, and that's fine. Um, I trust Dick Harmon. He's been a fantastic reporter uh, on BYU Sports for a long time. Is um, You guys aren't going to talk about any of this on your show, are you? Um, that it, We just recorded that, and we're going to press play oh, yeah. okay. um, in what we call the A block. Oh, that's great. Segment. Yeah, you're going to put it... You, just if you do, just make sure you cite my name and, and make sure you put doctor. So it's Dr. Matt Townsend. Doctor. If my, na- if my voice comes up in your blockade, just say Dr. <laughs> Matt Townsend. How's your signature? I just assume that every doctor has like this. Oh, no, mine's. Do you have terrible handwriting? No, no, no. John Hancock. Mine's gorgeous. You ought to see it. Flowing, (laughs) round, beautiful. And I use. I use. The dead language, like Latin. (laughs) Yeah, I do. My my cursive is amazing. You should see my cursive when I'm writing Latin. Incredible. Wow. Hey, uh, in Korean. what else is going to be on your show? You guys got to go do your show. What? Anything else? Uh, Jimmer Fredette will be on the show. Of course. Westchester Nick guard Jimmer Fredette. Uh, still trying to make the league. What does he think of BYU Hoops? Uh, is he having fun with what he's doing in the development league? What's next? Is he still trying to get into the NBA? What's the sitch? <laughs> Maybe he's a head coach candidate. <laughs> yeah. And then John Sassenti, the Vegas Bowl director, will join us in studio as well, including Elvis. Elvis is going to be here. Are you? Are you the, kidding? The Vegas Bowl has traveled, and Elvis. I'm, I want. Okay, I'm gonna. I want to come meet him. We're gonna win. I swear game. he was dead. This is Robert great. And I ain't here. <laughs> yeah. Is your lip curled when game. you're doing that? <laughs> your lips curled. I can tell. Yeah, uh huh. Totally cool. Uh huh. All right, I boys. Up on the love. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like it. Sounds like a great show. And uh, good luck with Elvis. Thank give you. Give him a big hug from me. Nope. Okay. I, I don't have any cash to tip this guy. That's what I'm really afraid of. <laughs> you got to tip him or he won't go away. Always tip Elvis. That's the rule. Okay, uh, guys, have a great do, show. Okay, bye. You Knock him it. dead. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. That's crazy. Elvis is, Elvis is in the building. Elvis is in our building. This is a big deal. I have, I have half a mind to run downstairs and confirm. I wish you would. Is Elvis here? Do it and then send it back. Send me a, send me a photo. Get it back here. Hey, um, here's the deal for you, folks. Two stories I got to get out as fast as I can. This is, uh, this is crazy, and this is what I'm just going to kind of chalk up to. You know, this, I'm a coach. I'm trying to do the coach's show here, not the football coach, but I'm, I'm trying to help you see that you can be a better criminal if you want to be. So I like to every once in a while critique a crime – and try to give a heads up to future criminals. So a criminal. This is the show where we give you the information you need. <laughs> exactly. The criminal coach's corner. This is the criminal coach's corner. And, and I don't do this. I do this because I'm here to change lives. And I don't care what lives. I want to change as many lives as I can. Bad boys, bad boys. So here's the rule. If you are seven foot four. And you plan to rob a 7-Eleven store at Knife Point. Do not believe that wearing a mask 
will protect you from losing your identity, from people being able to identify who you are. Uh, masks, not enough. It won't cloak the fact that you're seven foot four. I see the guy going through the door, and on the on the door frame they <laughs> yeah, have that they have marker <laughs> so they can see how tall you are as you run through it. And they're like, "Whoa!" He had to actually duck. He duck to go through. So I'm pretty sure he was taller than seven two. <laughs> According to police, Damon Matthews, 19, uh, held up the Bay City convenience store around 3 a.m. and fled on foot with about thirty five dollars and several packs of Newport cigarettes. And a 7-Eleven worker told cops that the robber brandished a butcher knife and repeatedly threatened to kill him if he did not cooperate. By the way, that was his signature weapon, the butcher knife. While the suspect wore a black ski mask, the employee told investigators that he believed the armed robber was Matthews. Oh, I'm pretty sure it was our seven foot four center on our basketball team in high school. I knew this guy in high school. Um, Yeah, his name... (laughs) It's so sad. His name's Damon Matthews. He just lives down the street. Um, here's his phone number. I think it's in my – oh, yeah, there it is. I'm pretty sure it was him. Did, did the criminal have any identifiable marks? The criminal had – an. Yeah. Was, there, was there anything different about this criminal that you haven't seen on other criminals? Well, he was 7'4", and he was carrying a butcher knife. <laughs> so they stopped Damon down the street. Hey, um, hey. Ah, uh, what you been doing? Nothing. He's got a big, super big old. It wasn't me. <laughs> uh, was, did you just rob the 7-Eleven? No, sir. No, sir. Did you see any other seven foot four people running by you? Yeah. With a butcher knife. Oh, a bunch of them around town. <laughs> Honestly. I can't coach everybody. Come on. Anyways, you know, we always like to end the show on a hero story. And uh, the hero of the day is eight-year-old Sapphire Terry. No relation to our producer, Terry. Eight-year-old Sapphire Terry is a wonderful girl who survived a house fire and suffered burns over 75% of her body. And she has one wish this holiday season. She wants to fill her Christmas card holder with as many cards as possible. In May 2013, someone set fire to the upstairs stairwell at their... um, place and that led to Sapphire Terry's apartment building burning down, killing her father, David Terry, and her three siblings who were all under age of three um, according to the Today Show. Sapphire's father, listen to this, held her in his arms. He's also a hero then, protecting the young girl from breathing the hot air. A heroic act that ultimately saved her life. Now Sapphire who has lost her left foot and right hand and uh had to undergo surgery more than 50 times for skin grafts. Um, She now lives with her aunt Liz and all they're asking for for Christmas are Christmas cards. It's just what they want. They want Christmas cards. Now they do need money uh, but right now just give us the Christmas cards and um, you can send the Christmas cards to uh, to this beautiful Sapphire Terry. We'll We'll put the address where you can send these cards out, but look up her name, Sapphire S F S A F Y R E Terry, and get that girl a Christmas card from you and your family. She'd like as many as she can. Send them on their way, folks. Sapphire, you're my hero of the day, and your father, who held you uh, during that fire, even as he was dying, um, he's a hero too. Until tomorrow, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care of each other, look after each other, and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow. <laughs>